Hi, if I could take a moment of your time before we start. If you've enjoyed previous episodes or if you enjoy this episode, if you could subscribe on the platform that you listen to, that would be really helpful. It helps us get more guests and push the podcast forward. Thanks. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Car Chat Podcast. And this week we have David Lane with us. Hello. Hi, how are you? Very good. Very good. Can you tell the audience a little bit about sort of who you are, what you do? Yeah, I can do. But uh, firstly, let me just say it's, it's, it's an absolute honor and a privilege to be <laughs> invited on here. Um, I think, you know, you've had some real big, big hitters and some, some heavy hitters and big shots on here. And, uh, and, uh, and I'm humbled to sort of even be included. So uh, thank oh, you. You're welcome. Welcome. But um, anyway, yeah, David Lane, um, we, we have a little company called Workshop 77. Uh, we have an offshoot brand uh, called Osher Design. Uh, some of you may know, but the Osher was an African god of thunder. And um, okay. and it was sort of a play on that and, uh, and my heritage, uh, having originally been from South Africa. Um, and um, and uh, we, we have a little workshop in uh, Northamptonshire, uh, sort of halfway between Daventry and Toaster. So... I suppose car central for the uh, for the for the UK, and um, and we have a little workshop there. We've gone through a couple of little changes. We just started out uh, having a bit of fun, trying to kick something about for a little while, and um, and just seeing how things went. And within a few months, that sort of expanded. And then uh, now we're about to make our big, what I'm referring to as version three, change, which is which is moving into some some purpose built workshops, which we've bought and uh, and uh, and having built as we speak. Um, so causing huge amounts of stress. Making yes. me making me the world's biggest bloody cynic, you know. So, uh, so, <laughs> so. Well, okay, we'll we'll get to the new the new build, yes. and I've yeah. got, got yeah, loads cool. of sort of building questions, whatever about that sort of stuff. Um, how did this all come about? Like, how? Because you've not been fixing cars or anything like all your life. That's not the no. case. Um, yeah, T- where's this come from? No, I'm not. I'm I'm, I'm not an expert. I'm not a mechanic. Um, I've, I've always been interested in cars. I've always liked cars, cars and motorbikes. I, I did have a bike shop uh, doing specializing in two-stroke when I was racing two-stroke MX bikes and stuff in South oh, Africa. Cool. Um, 
But um, no, I was a management consultant in the UK. I came over here, and uh, but how it how it came about, I suppose, uh, is that we needed to make a change from what I was doing. I sold my shares in the business. I sold a little business uh, up in Manchester where we'd been for about eight years, and um, we wanted to make a change. We'd looked at um, we'd looked at maybe moving to Australia or just trying to do something different. You know, I'd gotten mm. tired of the grey weathers and the wet winters, and and initially the plan, having chased this girl and caught her, and still still have her. Uh, captive-ish. <laughs> um, we, yeah, yeah, 22 years later, actually. So, um, so um, yeah, uh, it, it was to come to the UK for sort of five years and uh, 20 going, yeah, it's my 20th year in the UK. So, so it, it's gone and we're probably committed for a little while now because we have a little sprog. So mm. we're, we're committed, well, at least until he's 18, I imagine, I suppose. But um, anyway, so... Um, uh, we moved down to uh, to Northamptonshire. Lindsay got a new job. Sunny Northamptonshire. Sunny, sunny Northamptonshire. <laughs> the, yeah, yeah. And I, actually, actually, as you've said that, the sun has sort of just lit up the church. It's outside the window. <laughs> nice. so, so, yeah, good, good timing. Well, we, we'd, had, we'd had a bit of a rough ride with IVF. Um, we didn't really get terribly sort of involved in it, but, um, but we'd sort of gone down this, this, this path. And on this journey, and uh, we'd had eight rounds of IVF over eight years, and, uh, wow. and some of them were pretty rough rides and stuff. And we actually weathered it fairly well. I think, I think you know, trying to do sort of psychology one hundred and one on it is because we weren't terribly sort of have taken with having to have a family, but it was something okay. that we'd started, and we're both, I suppose, a little committed to these things. And um, yeah, anyway, so we had this little boy, and he was pretty special to us. And uh, so Lindsay took a year off work. And I thought, oh, well, I might as well take a year off work because at that stage I was refurbing old houses and uh, just sold the last house that we had. We'd done a number, um, just under 10, I suppose. And yeah. um, and uh, we were at home for a year with this little boy, which was fine and fun. But during that time, I found that I was actually a little bored as well. You know, yeah. there's, there's only so much you can do when you're at home. So um, uh, in that meantime, I'd started one of the first cars. Uh, we I'd built this, this, this sort of... Um, I'd had some fast cars, sold the fast cars, and, and bought a Spider replica, um, a 550 Porsche Spider oh, replica, okay. a Martin & Walker, actually. And, and, and I've driven a couple, and I've driven a few before then as well. And actually, this was a particularly well-built car because they can range from being quite good to, to death traps, absolute bloody death traps. And um, this was quite a nice one, and I, we made a number of modifications to it. I just did it, you know, found some people local. Yeah. And like I said, we're in the middle of... We're in the middle of you know car center UK, so uh, it was easy to find guys, air cooled specialists, guys just to tweak things, etc. And um, we did that, and uh, and that was the first sort of little project, and I quite enjoyed that because I'd gone from these fast cars capable of doing I don't know 170 or something miles an hour yeah. death machines, as you and I've discussed before, but um, to something that was sort of losing control at 35 or 40 miles an hour. Death and, machine and, at 40 miles an hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. <laughs> just broken legs machine you know you don't die at 40 you just you just you know you just end up being mangled so um so infinitely safer (laughs) and uh and uh that's how i kind of got into that and then and then was it um uh gee where was a festival of speed actually and i'd seen a car for sale um and um and i've said it before i've said it in a little video that uh, that ollie did of ours um it was um one of Adam Hawley's first cars. In fact, I think it was his first car that he'd done at Theon, and it was for sale. I rang him up and I said, "Hey, man, you know how much is it?" And it turned out I couldn't afford that money, and uh, and um, but maybe I should have because now they're even more expensive. But, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but I saw it, and uh, and typical, I suppose, typical petrol head. Um, you know, you look at these things and you go, "Hey, come on, man, 
you know, I can find one on eBay. Surely I can do that for, for a fraction of the price. Yeah. And then, and then you, you find one on eBay, quite luckily, and you buy this thing, and then you start doing the work on it. And then it ends up costing four or five times what it would have cost just to buy one. You know? so, uh, so anyway, so that, that's kind of how I fell into it. So it was during that year off, that first year off of, of our little boy, Ethan, um, that um, I was involved with these cars and doing this car up and, and thoroughly enjoyed it, and, uh, you know, as any petrol head would, and, um, and project managed it. I used my experience, I suppose, as a management consultant. And as um, as having project managed house builds and refurbs, it's it's fundamentally the same thing, isn't it? You yeah. Know, you get you get best of breed, or you get specialists in, or people who tell you that they're, they're good, and uh, <laughs> and and, uh, and you find out the hard way. Some of them may or may not be, and uh, but generally the whole process was was thoroughly enjoyable. But I, at that stage, I thought, gee, you know, this has cost me retail on labour plus VAT um, plus plus. 20 odd percent markup on, on parts and I'm paying full retail on parts and stuff. And maybe there's, maybe there's something we can do. Um, and, uh, the car ended up just down the road from me in Wheaton, where we currently are with a company called advanced motorsport. And, um, they were sort of the last people in the process, uh, really to put the car together. And, um, they were going through some changes and, uh, Dan, the proprietor there was, was making a couple of redundancies and scaling back on the business, just focusing things, I think a little. So, um, uh, there was one of the chaps who was there and, couple of them have been working on the car and I've been down to this car every every day practically you know going and thinking right boys what have you done now <laughs> micromanaging to to yeah. the max uh, just generally getting in the way I suppose but um but uh, during that stage I thought well um you know I can uh, if these guys are being made redundant um let's just have a look around the rest of the site and see if there's something available at that stage I had another 1973 car which I knew needed work and needed refurbing and restoring and trying to do do to it what we what I'd done with the beige car, the beige 911, the 1970 911 hot rod. And, um, and uh, we, we sort of pull, pushed Rob's toolboxes out of advanced motorsport at number five down at the depot, building five, and pushed it into building 77 and uh, workshop 77. And it was only a thousand square foot. Um, in fact, it's the old building that used to belong to uh, a buddy of ours, uh, his rental. Um, Ollie Mullard, who's down at Bista now, um, he's aluminium. Oh, okay. Welding, you may or may not know of him, but um, no, I'm not And uh, anyway, and he does some cool stuff. So anyway, so we took over his old shop, and um, one of the chaps who was one of the neighbours, one of the tenants down at the site as well, Matt Edge, who's become a friend of ours, had a couple of cars and needed some work on, and uh, and the rest is history. So they got pushed in there, they got busy. <laughs> we got busier. I, you know, we learned a lot of things along the way. Um, very quickly ran out of space actually you know these these cars can take up a lot of space and a couple of other buildings were becoming available so we sort of we we, we went from version one in the various iterations into version two quite quickly um and um and then version 2.0 and one and three and where we're at now <laughs> you know so so few few sort of personnel changes people coming in that we we tried out and uh worked quite quite well together but uh, things have changed and they've gone on to do some of their own things now and um and um yeah, you know, it's uh, it's fun. It, I mean, to be brutally honest, it's probably gone beyond being fun now to being a bit more serious. And um, yeah. and and perhaps perhaps COVID has a lot to answer for. I think, but it's become a bit grindy. You know, it's a little bit of a grind out there. There's this general feeling, I think, of animosity. Um, a little bit. I think people are feeling a bit got at or something. You know, two years in now, so um, so it's kind yeah. of not surprising. But. Um, it's been less fun the last year. You know, we've 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 had a couple of things go wrong. We've learned some we've learned some valuable lessons. You know, so so at least that's the one thing we can do. 
my insurance company have uh, picked up the tab on on a, on a 911 engine that went wrong for a customer of ours who's who's actually still still a client customer of ours and actually still a good friend so so you know it wasn't sort of terribly malicious but yeah. um, but it's good you know uh, you know we we we've, we've held our hands up to mistakes that we've made and things that we've learned along the way but it's also helped me very much define what we wanted to do and what we wanted to try and focus the business on and um and uh and the new buildings will help with that so you know so we're constantly trying to evolve it but constantly trying to have fun what have been some of the like lessons you've learned like moving forward having sort of jumped into this space yeah um it's there's, there's certain projects we don't want to do um you know there's there's a lot of a lot of requests for restoration type work. You know, these okay. guys have got rusty sills on a 1946 Beetle or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. I don't even know when they started making Beetles. Were they around in 46? You tell me. So, I don't know. Anyway. Probably. Bloody old. Maybe. Yeah, probably. Probably. Yeah. So, yeah. 19, yeah. Yeah. Maybe. No, no, there must have been. It's post-war. Post-war. So, anyway. So, an early Beetle <laughs> pitches up and, and the sills are all rusty and the arches are shot and it's failed its MOT. And, and, uh, and then somebody wants us to weld it up and we spent tons of hours welding this thing up and 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 um trying to do all this work and actually visually the car hasn't changed very much you know a lot yeah. of it's, it's just been all this welding work and it just eats the hours with welders and grinding and cutting and fab- fabbing panels up. and um i always liken it to being a little bit like a surgeon you know you have to sort of go out and tell everybody and give them the unfortunate news that i'm afraid yeah. you know the uh, the patient has passed away uh, they didn't make it, you know, and, and that's how I feel about all these projects. And it, and it's just, it's, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's rubbish. I don't like doing it. So, yeah. um, so it's just nice to try and focus on nice clean builds and stuff. So we, we sort of learned what not to do there. Um, we've learned that there are experts in their field and, uh, and it is probably better to leave it up to experts. You know, we, we toyed with the idea of starting our own paint shop because getting decent painters can sometimes be challenging. Okay. Um, you know, I have, relatively high standards and 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 it's easy to pick fault with paint i think you know it, it doesn't take super magnificent eyes you can just walk around yeah. and you can start picking holes and things and um so it's easy for me to do that it's it's less easy for me to pick out if somebody's built an engine wrong obviously because i don't have that experience so we toyed with the idea of opening a paint shop and then worked out that actually do you know what we're probably best off leaving it with these best of breed guys we've got around here so we have degrees of painters that we use and body shop guys and and uh uh, once again, we're in car mecca for the UK, so we have we have a plethora of guys on our doorstep that we can just rely on to do engineering for mm. the bits we need. You know, gearboxes, for example, engines, engine Dave Knight, uh, the Knight Engine Services will do all our engineering on on all our motors. Norman Dales, we use for paint. We use Matt, um, use Paul, uh, use Motion Factory Ollie down in, in Milton Keynes. So you know, so there's we, we've got these guys we can pick and choose from now. How did you so, find these people? Um, I, I, you know, mostly I think social media, Sam, I think, I think, you know, you know, Instagram and Twitter and people reaching out or asking a question. Um, and then, and then just word of mouth, you know, the usual word of mouth thing. Um, but, um, but it, it sometimes is the same people that are used repeatedly. So, uh, so it's not difficult to find them, you know, you, you know, Normandales is up the road, but they do, gee, they do. They do the Williams F1 cars. They do a number of other Porsche manufacturers' cars, including high-end stuff. They've even do specials on on Aston Martins, for example. So, um, so you know, it doesn't take a lot to find out who these guys are. So. Yeah, it's always worth finding that the person that does the special stuff for a manufacturer, because yes, know, <laughs> yes, if you like can they have. 
if yeah. you can afford it. If it's within budget and whatnot, and that's yes. what you're going to do. But like, they have their own paint shops. They have all their stuff, and they're like, yeah, yeah but well, that's it's all not good do. enough for yeah. this. Yeah. So they said, well, you know, I mean, the manufacturers outsource. Oh yes, 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 yes. Of course, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. No, good point. So they must be good. I was talking to someone recently about um, respraying cars, and mm. um, and people were like, oh, but you lose the manufacturer warranty. It's like, well, no, you lose it on the paint. Yes. And uh, if you go to uh, a manufacturer, they might do, I don't know, seven years of paint before corrosion might come through, or ten years they might yeah. warranty it for. If you go to one of these really high-end paint places, they might say lifetime yeah so you're like well they, they're saying it's going to last forever and if there's yeah. ever a problem i'll just go back to them yes for the rest of the car i'll take it back to the manufacturer yeah 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 good point good point because you play, you sprayed your uh, your f40 famously didn't you yes and that was by an outfit like that okay um, a place called sanasi in italy who do the special special paints for ferraris so Okay. If you have a, a pista that's got stripes on it or something, yes. or a LaFerrari that's like a different color other than the four colors you were allowed by Ferrari to have <laughs> after spending your one and a half million euros or whatever it was. Really, really. Red, um, Rosso red, Corsa yeah, red, yeah, yeah. and uh, especially... Yellow. <laughs> and another yellow. <laughs> it was literally like that. It was like, it's like five colors, one of which is white and one of which is black. So it's three colors. It's three colors, um, yeah. But yeah, so there's a nasty okay. with the, the people that handle all that sort of stuff. So wow, that was one of those find the right people. Okay, so it wasn't a farm somewhere around the middle of. No, it wasn't a shed. I mean, <laughs> okay. it probably is a shed. It's just a shed in Italy, so it sounds sounds yeah. exotic. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, cool, so man. you've so you've got mm. Workshop Seventy Seven, which sort of does yes. work. What does what will you take in? What will you do within that name? Well, it's got to be. It's got to be cool. Um, it's got to be. Who it's got to be that? cool. Yeah, yeah. The the the, the, the universe. You know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Clarkson's cool wall. You know, who who decides yeah, yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and it's kind of it's kind of that. But um, yeah, no. Ideally, it's got to be a cool car. And um, and we we've had some problem customers, and uh, and I'm and I'm very keen to avoid that in the future as well. So um, so yeah. Um, it's, 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 you know, there's, there's no hard and fast rule like that, but, uh, yeah, work, so workshop 77 effectively get cars in and we will do certain things to them. I suppose I had always considered that it was perhaps a little clumsy having workshop 77 and Osher design sort of yeah. together because what are we, who are we, how does it work? But, um, having spoken to a couple of people, I involved, uh, involved a small PR company with Nick Elwood and, and sort of asked the question to them and I needed, I needed an external opinion really yeah, to yeah. say, look, is this, is this dumb or is this just, you know, uh, or should I continue with it? And they seem to think we should continue with it. And that, that certain cars can be workshop cars because workshop 77 cars, because they're being breathed on. So they'll come in and be, I suppose for lack of a better word, customized. Um, you yeah. Know, that, that can sound like a dirty word because it can sound a little bit health fancy, but, um, but, uh, you know, stick on V8 badges or something like that. That'd be cool. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, yeah, always, yeah. that's the first thing we do when a car comes in. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just put all the badges on the back. All the badges. Yeah, Diesel, yeah, the badges. V8, petrol, <laughs> AMG. Turbo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. GTS, Turbo. GTO. Yeah. yeah, yeah, perfect. 
Yeah, so so we, we'll we'll do that, and because we have in-house trimming, it means that we can customize certain things. You know, there's a big move now. I think in the Porsche world, guys are going for the Pepita 911R type um, um, uh, seat centers. And, yeah, uh, and I think it looks really cool. But uh, you know, we can we can do all of that, and we can we can make these cars sort of individual. You know, I know that you. If, with your GT3 RS, for example, you know, it is pretty much individual to you. If you see a photo of that car, even sans number plate, you'll know it's your car because it, it, it is your car. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, make no mention, obviously, of F40 Blue because that was that's very <laughs> super distinctive, super customized Halford style. But, um, yeah, it's just so, so I think people sort of want that. And we've, we've done quite a few cars like that. First and foremost, I think they have to be driver's cars. Uh, I do want them to drive and handle nicely. We did a, we did a little Z3, actually, so it was the right engine one, but um, we dropped the suspension down a little with some Super Pro bushes, they're concentric bushes, so it doesn't, whenever you drop a Z3, it pushes the camber out to like negative okay. three or something, so it's just ridiculous. Nice. Yeah. But but so you, so little things that you can do that don't cost trillion pounds getting Olin's, uh, Olin's setups on there. And um, we dropped it down a little, uh, center gravity, um, did the setup on that, um, and they did a they did a lovely job, and the car just drove nicely. Little things, little spotlights in the front mm. that were amber, so the customer knew it was his. And a couple of little changes internally, and that that was kind of cool. So that's those are sort of workshop seventy seven cars. Um, the Osha design cars, Osha follows a, 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 an ethos of having to be sort of, I suppose, in the process back to bare metal. But um, but for me, I want them clean and fast. Uh, they don't always have to be fast. It just just kind of it's kind of they're clean and fast mm. you know they're, they're they're analog cars but they're taken back there's they're streamlined they don't have that and i've said it before and i'll say it again now but they don't have the classic car element sort of engineered out of them we don't take everything out to, to remove that classic car feel that 1973 911 hot rod that we did was mostly as a 911 hot rod but kwv3 suspension on an f-series car which was pretty unique especially at mm. that time um a slightly hotted up engine, but it was still the same engine. It didn't have uh, standalone management on on ITBs. We just went to forty IDA um, Webers, uh, so triple Webers on there, and uh, and and it was still very much a classic nine eleven um, pre nineteen seventy four nine eleven, and it was a lovely car. Um, and so that's kind of what we try and do. But but then we do customize them for the customer. So we've just done a nine eleven ST for a Faisal, a good client, a friend of ours, and um, he had a number of changes and requirements for the car he wanted a roll cage he wanted st look of various things yeah he wanted the fia papers which we got uh which was which was difficult to get if i'm honest especially what, during a pandemic what do you have to hoops do you have to jump through to get fia papers well primarily you have to decide which period you're going for so this one okay. happens to be g2 so up to and including 1971 um mm -hmm. and it has to be as it would have been raced in period as an ST, 911 ST would have been raced in okay. period up to and including the end of 1971. So in this instance, it's a 2.3 twin plug uh, MFI motor with a 901 gearbox because they only used a 915 gearbox in 1972. Um, the bumper had to be a certain spec, had to be a TE bumper, and that's where we originally failed on, actually, because Jürgen Barth, uh, the photos get taken and then sent through to the FIA and they look at it. Jürgen was the one who was looking at this particular car and failed us initially on having the wrong bumper. We had a we okay. had an S bumper with a little lip, right? And, uh, so that wasn't allowed. So we swapped <laughs> the bumpers. And um, so yeah, so it has to it has to look and conform to being as per period. So it's 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 you know 
it's not he's not terribly onerous, but we had massive delays, of course, because of uh, the pandemic. Um, okay. We have a local chap who came out. Jeff Moyes was the guy who came out. And he photos it and he submits the application on our behalf, which isn't uh, isn't uh, inexpensive or not mm. not 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 time consuming. So. Um, so yeah, something like that. And uh, it's expensive and time consuming. A, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, me trying to get fancy with my English just because I'm being interviewed <laughs> by car celebrities like you. And uh, and um, and uh, and then it all gets submitted. But but um, you know, so from a from a from a an actual admin point of view, Jeff did most of the work probably, and um, mm. you know, and then the customer picks up the tab. So so easy enough. But uh, yeah, um, and then is, and then we got the paperwork. So. Okay, and then that can then race in a, any FIA GT sanctioned event or some, some, something like that. I think so. Yes. So it's this HTP, the Historical Technical yeah. Passport. So that allows it to race. Yes, as per period. Yeah. Because I wonder, because you see a lot of, let's say you go down to Goodwood, mm-hmm. and you see a lot of cars that have been made to conform that may not be the originals. I can't tell because they're no. They're the same as the originals, and they get marketed to the Joe public as the originals. And yes, and they cost a million quid to make. And they do cost a million quid to make. They are, yeah. So, yeah. They're, so they're pretty legit. But some of them seem significantly faster <laughs> than, <laughs> than they should be, maybe. Yes. Um, but you wonder also, like, like, what level of preparation can you do to sort of chassis and stuff? Because I know if you took a an early car and you rip it all the way back to zero. Yeah. It's not, I'm sure it's not seam welded the entire way around and, you know, strengthened in little places and stuff. So presumably there's some play in what you can do in that area without getting, without getting caught. But how how do you get caught? Like, how are you going to get caught if you've got an interior in the car? Yes. Um, well, I mean, you know, I think it's exactly that. You can only you can only market on what you can see. Um, I mean, crumbs, isn't that what people do with with MOTs as well? You know, yeah, yeah. You know, take yeah. the windscreen out because you can't knock it for having a cracked windscreen if if there's no windscreen to check. So um, I remember so, taking yeah. my GT3 my GT3 RS to get an MOT done. I've had yeah. I've had some funny stories um, with that car of doing things that people would go, "You probably shouldn't do that." Um, I took it to a quick fit. Okay. Uh, for an alignment. Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> and and I was like, what? Afterwards, it was like, what the hell are you doing? But I took it to one of the ones that had they had the full laser, oh the hunter or whatever setup or something. Yeah, setup. Yeah. And yeah. the mechanic was like, he was actually pretty good, but he um and it got we got it all down to within point whatever of the manufacturer specification, all round camber everything. Oh, well. But it, and I think it cost me like twenty quid. Oh yeah. <laughs> Because they just have a price yeah. for a car. Yeah. That's what it is. Nissan Micra, GT3 yeah. RS, <laughs> Veyron. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And then they get to, I take it since I took it to, to the same place actually for an MOT once. And they look under the car and they're like, hmm, okay. Well, it's got underfloor from the front yes. all the way to the back. Yeah. So we can't see anything, but we're not allowed to take it off. Yeah. I don't think they're necessarily allowed to take it off. No. So they just have to go... That's what that looks like. Seems all right. Yeah. Check yeah. it. Blah, 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 blah. Carry on. 
worked well. It. But the alignment, yeah. that was brilliant. I, was I don't know whether yeah, anyone yeah, would yeah. ever let me do that again, but it was it was spot on. <laughs> yeah, you got to spend more money because it's a more expensive car because otherwise it can't be nearly as good as what it should have been. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's impossible. Yeah. I'll t- tell you what, though. That, I learned a lot, a big lesson that day of on an unaligned car versus an aligned car. Because yes. I just did it because someone was like, maybe you should just get an alignment. Yeah. Just get one. Yeah. And I saw how out it was. And it's not, you know, we're not talking big numbers, are we? It's like a degree yeah. or something. Yes. But the way the car feels and handles, and that was just on a, a factory setup, yeah. was night and day different. Yeah. So playing with these things make, can make such a difference to a car, can't it? So important. I think, it, I think it's one of the most important things. You know, if the car drives like crap, it's, it's no fun. Um, I did that actually with, with the hot rod when I built that. Mm. Um, there are a number of changes to it you've seen around the car, but, you know, top mounts have been changed. It's got a 993 subframe in the back of a 1970, 1970 car. And um, KW had to, from their motorsport department, had to custom build uh, the, the uh, rear dampers, the real coilovers for, for me. And um, the car was was almost undrivable. You know, it was a sort of a suck it and see moment. I jumped in mm. it and shot up the A5. And at 90 miles an hour, I thought I was going to die. This thing was all over the show. And I thought, mm. gee, man, these bloody, these, these classic Porsches, uh, this is what they are. <laughs> Sketchy, yeah. They're shit, yeah. And, <laughs> um, and um, uh, I went up to center gravity. And um, Chris had a look at it and set it all up. And I drove it back. And, and it was a closed road because I must have hit it much, much, much faster than <laughs> it was legally allowed. And... Uh, and I just thought, God, you know, literal transformation. It went from being wow to, from wow, dangerous wow to wow, wow, really good yeah. and, uh, and lovely. And I've subsequently made some more changes um, to the suspension and just set up and just changing the spring rates in the rears and uh, half the stiffness of them. So they went from a 90, 170 down to a 50, 200, so a bit more free travel, but, but only 50 Newton meters, uh, Newton per millimeter on the, on the spring rates. And, um, and it's transformed it again. You know, the roads are so bad out there now. Yeah. They're so potholed. They're so bumpy and lumpy. Especially on your site. Oh, mate. <laughs> anyway, I know. Like, we're world like famous for it. Yeah, yeah, no, we're world famous for it. You just Google Ever Wheaton, seen. the depot, and uh, the first thing that comes up is like photos of four inch, uh, four foot deep potholes. Yeah. yeah. I've seen a whole family of people living in one once, you know, just the top all <laughs> over the top. But... Um, um, yeah, so so the roads are so bad that actually you do need something a little softer and a little more compliant, and uh, and it's transformed the car again, you know. So it's went from really bad to really good to now even better, mm. and that's and that's just uh, that was just geo, and then just changing the rear springs. And was that a? How did you pick that spring rate? Was it like an educated no. guess yeah. or like ask around or what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I asked the experts, best to breed yeah. again. You know, so I said to the guys at Centre Gravity, what should we be going with? And they were like, well, and, you know, why, why would you not? Why would you not use their years of experience? Yeah. And, um, and that, that was what they suggested. And, uh, and it is a little bit. That's, that, that is the problem, I suppose, with, with, with the work we do in that, uh, in that a lot of it is, is prototyping. Um, you know, we don't have a production line. We haven't spent billions trying to develop the new I-Pace or F-Pace or whatever car yeah. may be coming out and, and we can make changes and things, you know, this is a one-off setup, a one-off car. And, um, we made the changes to it and then suck it and see, man, you know, get out there and see what it's like. And you go, actually, yeah, yeah. or gee, we've just spent 10 grand and doesn't feel <laughs> any different, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, there is, there is that risk at every stage. 
But, um, but it's something I've I've enjoyed a lot um, on some. I did it on on one test day. Hmm. It was in my radical, and um, we did. There wasn't much going on. I think we were actually. I think we were on a track day, so setting a pure lap time was not going to really happen. So doing that sort of comparison versus various days. So we said, right, why don't we try some radical setup changes? Because I'd never really done it on the car. Okay. Um, just to see what it what the hell it feels like. And we did the first every, with that sort of setup. You might halfway through the day change the rear springs or like mm. change whatever. Like it's just something that people just they do. They change that stuff all the oh, time. Wow. Okay. But sounds amazing. With to um, the, with this, we ran dampers and we did full soft. We did my normal setups like somewhere in the middle, um, okay. but we did full soft. Yeah. I think we started by going full hard. Like okay. just lock everything off just wind, crank it all down drive wow. it car gets like super twitchy like just really like everything's like <laughs> oh 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 yeah yeah um and then do it full soft and actually the difference between the two is i think in sort of mechanical terms is not very much but the okay. perception feel was huge like you then go to like oh my god this is like a boat or something that like rocks back and forth when i go forward and backwards and like rolls yeah. around the corners now if you compared this to the levels of roll on a road car we it would be like a 50th yeah. of the yeah, amount yeah. but fraction the yeah. perception feel of driving the car was huge difference between the two and then i started rolling in the middle and just clicking adjusting it towards but just that process of doing the extremes yes was really interesting and then also looking at the lap times and seeing if there is any lap time difference and then there's that sweet spot where possibly it might be faster Mm -hmm. like if you were a pro driver yes the setup there's a setup that they will probably be faster at but since i'm not a pro driver i probably personally want it a little bit softer so i can feel a, a bit more progression yes like tiny bits and a little then more forgiving, that I imagine. Gives well. me more confidence mm. and I will push harder. So yes. I will go faster. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But that exercise was brilliant. And I would love to do it on more cars, like yes. on my other road cars and stuff, yes. and just do like geo setups and like mess around, change some stuff, drive down a road, come back, change some stuff. But it's it's difficult on the road to get that consistent test situation. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, you look out the window and the next thing, the temperatures drop 10 degrees. And I suppose that can change a multitude of things. I know we've, we've, we've said about tyre guys in, in the past. And, um, you know, I can't, I'm not good enough really to feel the difference in tyres unless I was doing exactly that in a, in a situation mm. where we were taking the exact same car and taking that wheel off and putting the different wheel on with a different yeah. tyre. And it's the same temperature, the same weather conditions on the same track. And then I'd probably feel it. But normally, going up and down the A5, I can't tell the difference between... No, and you're and not... Nankangs and Yokohamas and... You're not pushing hard no. enough. Or no. you shouldn't be pushing no, no, hard enough. I never you, I'm sure you'll be able to tell the difference between the best in, in terms of the most grippy feel car, tyre, whatever yeah. that is, versus yes. the worst, cheapest one. You'd feel a massive yes. difference. yes. Um, but, but between yeah, all of those that are up in that top, that top sort of niche, yeah, yeah. But um, so on on the radical, were you just really changing rebound and damp on the things, or were there? Were yeah, there... high speed, low speed, um, okay. damping and whatever. So just, yeah, rebound just rebound and compression. Okay, okay yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And then we do do um, 
change anti-roll bars and okay. springs depending on situations but i've generally got the car at the moment roughly how i like it and then there is i haven't raced that car in a while but yeah you used to race long... it you used to race it a lot uh, i used to race some? it a bit i raced okay. the previous radical i had a lot more yeah. um so i had the, the baby one the sr1 um, okay and you've got an sr3 and I, now or something and i've got an sr3 which is just more stable more downforce more oh, really slicks but um, more, more as serious, a car more serious though. Yeah, more serious, but actually just a much better car to drive. Mm. They've since uh, changed the SR1 has evolved quite a bit since I drove it, um, and one of the, I think one of the main problems was the tire. Okay. So that was going from a um, kind of like a fast road tire. Yeah. In the SR3s, you're on slicks. Now, oh, a huge okay, price okay. difference okay. between the two for running yes. them, but. What that meant is in the dry, these, the SR1 was pretty good, but in the wet, it had no tread. It had okay. like no tread and it was quite hard compound and your car is like four mil off the floor or something. Like, okay. So you hit a puddle, your car takes off and just as a novice, yes. that was sketchy as hell. Okay. Um, as I think if I went back and drove it now, it wouldn't be as sketchy because you've got more experience, but... Yeah, going to weirdly going to a car that will do significantly faster lap times, not much quicker in a straight line, but just a lot faster in the corners, okay. was a more sensible option from a safety point of view, which doesn't it's slightly counterintuitive, yeah. but absolutely was the case. Like I was firing off the track in the SR one and I doesn't doesn't happen that often. In, uh, in, S- oh, yeah. in SR3 unless oh, you've cool. really you know really got it wrong I don't was- I'm, I'm, I don't really know the radicals much at all you know I know the name I kind of I, I could probably recognise one in the car park but that would be about it But um, it's a small lightweight yeah, prototype yeah. Type, type thing but what are you racing them in I mean I'm fascinated so, by this uh, so yeah. they have um, they have a, a thing called the Radical Challenge okay um, which is a one make series yes and it's just SR3s. And this year, I haven't, I haven't raced in it this year. Um, they now have two classes, so they have a slightly faster car. Okay. Actually, they, no, they do. There's three levels of Radical, basically. Yeah. Three is the sort of middle, okay. but is the one that most people race. Okay. One is like the entry level, which will still skin any supercar on a track oh, by really? quite, a, quite a serious oh, really? margin. Okay. But like three is... Uh, maybe not current, but a couple of years ago was GT3 race car pace. Okay. On a lap, but for a tenth of the price of racing a GT3 car. Uh, okay. So like sort of the pound for pound. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. They're, they're very, very quick um, in corners. How does that sort of compare then to um, Ultima, for example? You've, you've looked around a little Ultima we've built. Yeah. So you've, you've been building, you've built an Ultima. All right. What is, what is the one? That you've built, uh, Ultima RS. Yeah, so that's the Ultima latest, RS. the latest iteration of it. So uh, I think um, after a few years of, of, of uh, development and progression, um, yeah, it's a it's a component car, I suppose. You know, kit car. Mm. What was that like to build? 
are actually quite involving. Um, it's not it's it's not put part A again to part B and uh, and then you know it, it's not like building those first FX models where you just glue yeah, the yeah, fuselage yeah. on and then stick the wings on and you're like hey that's done man <laughs> and, and get glue on the inside of the canopy. It um, no it is quite involving. Everything needs doing. So there there is a lot that goes into that car. Um, you have all the, you have everything in it comes in a box, but but everything needs shaping and putting in. The lights come. The only thing that comes pre-assembled, I think, is the light cluster because uh, Mark, the owner of this car's, he specced it up with the LED fancy lights, mm. and um, so that pod comes together. But inside that, it needs it needs little little vents that are glued in place. Uh, it needs the glass shaped and glued in place and primed up on the back uh, of it, and then and then the rear cover is put in place. So literally everything, every every nut and bolt, every hole needs to be redrilled. A lot of the panels have to be shaped and cut to fit the car. So yeah, very involving. I think we're at about 500 hours. Yeah, because you look at those sorts of builds and I think everyone has the idea, whether it's like, you know, a caterer, I think most petrol heads at some point in time have gone, I would like to build a car. <laughs> yes. Whether, you know, whatever that form that is, a caterer type car or, yes. you know, Ultima, you're like, okay, well, this would be like really fast. Um and then I don't imagine most home build people would order something and then expect to be shaping stuff. Now, maybe, maybe I'm just, I haven't done enough research into it, but I would sort of assume it was a bit like Lego. You know, you yeah. put it together, bolt it in, the holes no. line up. But No, no, not at all. Not at all. The engine comes in a crate. The engine needs a bit of modifying. Um, this one is spec with the LT5, so it's that 6.2 liter supercharged V8. Out the can, 755 brake on the basic map, up to with some small mapping changes and um, and uh, changing one of the pulleys on the on the supercharger, it does 1200 brake. So so it's it's you know it's it's insane. It's all the way up there. I think I think at 800 brake, plenty plenty because the car dries is apparently 930. Uh, we haven't put it on corner weights yet, but um, and so I would assume wet because there's quite a lot of fluid in that thing with the chargers yeah. and various things. Probably about eleven fifty somewhere around there, eleven hundred. That's going to be seriously fast in a straight line. If it if it if, if it, it can put if, the power down, if it's dry, yeah, because it's because it's a six speed manual, um, no driver aids, no power steering, no ABS, <sighs> no. ESC, no BBC, no ASB, <laughs> just a whole bunch of WOW. I know. I think there's going to be a bit of wow. Normally, I normally I don't call it WOW. I normally use an expletive in there, but I won't <laughs> keep, keep your podcast friendly. But um, but yeah, no, I think I think it'll be I think it'll be insane. Um, I've only gone around the little block a bit on our little bumpy roads just to make sure he was getting up to temperature, etc. Yeah. And um, and I have to say. Uh, it didn't take a huge amount of time to get used to. I imagine a bit like your F40. I think probably, you know, you did. It wouldn't take a hundred hours. That's for sure. I think yeah. you know, two or three hours in, you're probably getting the feel of it a little bit more and realizing actually, despite looking quite fragile, it's quite robust. Mm. Um, everything does seem to work quite well. It doesn't crash and bang too much. So, um, so uh, you know, and and the cockpit seems to be quite a nice place to be. Um, this particular one has aircon, so I think that'll be that'll be a godsend. Yes, because having that having that bloody LT five behind your head um, in that tight little space, I think that could be <laughs> that could be pretty warm normally. But um, yeah, I've had one experience in an Ultima, not built by Ultima, built by someone, bought yeah. by someone else, fixed by someone else, okay. and um, it was like sitting in an oven, like just mm. horrific 
horrifically hot. I'm not sure everything worked because it it seemed it didn't seem to have any of the power that on paper it had, okay. um, and it was definitely pretty sketchy. But what that was motor? We, what, what motor was it? Yeah. It was 650 horsepower. So what, like an LS LS motor or something? LS something. Okay. Yeah. LS three. One of them. I mean, that seems something to be rather like popular. But I've seen some with small block Chevys in there and all the rest of it. Um, I've seen some LT fours that have gone into them recently. But um, I think you know the one the one that you kind of want now is 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 if you're ticking all the options list mm. when you when you order this thing from Hinkley with uh, the little carbon fiber canards on there and stuff. But uh, but aim dash is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and the LT five. Um, so um, yeah. Does yeah. the aim dash? Can you have? Um... Can you do like lap times and stuff on that? Dash? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, uh, it's the Strada, uh, Strada 1.1. I think it is that, that was specced with this and we yeah. didn't know much about it. And in fact, I have to say we're all, <laughs> we're all getting a little old, um, I think in the <laughs> workshop because we were struggling with it. And then we got this kid down, you know, 19 <laughs> years old and he walked in and he went, beep, 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 never done one before. Yeah. And, um, mate, it was working within about 10 minutes. You know, <laughs> we'd all been sitting there for 12 hours, sort of scratching our heads, looking at the manual, reading the box, yeah. flipping it upside down, shaking, <laughs> nothing, nothing. And then Matt came Turn in and just went, yeah, 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 yeah. And we said, uh, yeah, can we do something? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. He did it all pretty well. So yeah, uh, quite programmable. You just need to download the, um, the specs for, in this case, the Corvette yeah. C7, C6 motor, C7 motor. Yeah. Cause I, and, um, I, I have an aim dash in the, in the radical and that okay. is linked to a GPS and does lap times and whatever and all that sort of stuff. It, it seems, seems decent. Does, yeah. does the job. Um, yeah. And you can, like you said, you can program a lot into that, but I think probably very different to having it. It's probably not that different to having it in a road car. Cause essentially all you just need to know is your gears mm. or yours is, you know, your gears manual and then temperatures. And that's about it really. Yeah. Well, this has even got change-up lights. So we've, we've sort of, oh, well, okay. we, Matt, the kid, programmed yeah. the change-up lights in it. So, um, so you know, so he's, he's got the lights that flash across the top. And then you can choose, I think, probably something like 50 different displays or, you know, maybe, maybe it's only 20 mm. different displays. But you can have analog-looking dials or all digital or just revs or just speed. And, and um, yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, you know, I think, I think, I think it would be a nice thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, when you said, I'm just going to share my screen, um, mm. Just so you say, like, what does the Radical look like and how would it compare to something like the Ultima? So this is, is okay. an SR3. Um, Do you know, it's not a million miles away, is it? It's not massively different. It's, no, um, that front it's is, quite a bit lighter. Yes, okay. Uh, so what what weight have you got on that then? I think it's 550 kilos. Mm. 570 maybe. Yeah, That's okay. an absolute guess. But yeah, it, it's okay. somewhere around that, there. That's light. That is light. Um, 250 power. horsepower. Oh, okay. Okay, so way down on the power then compared to an yeah, LT5. way down. Like, And with the downforce, yeah. um, downforce numbers on stuff like this, um, you, I think it's 600 kilos at 110 miles an hour or something. Wow. Which all the figures co- quoted by road cars and those who listen to the podcast, I've, I've, apologies if I've, you've heard this before, um, they're always at like 180 miles an hour. Oh, okay. And... So it might be 500 kilos at 180 miles an hour. And they'll go, oh my God, that's loads. I think P1 was 600 kilos at 180 miles an hour. Okay. The difference, if you scale up, because it's logarithmic, whatever, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, 600 kilos of downforce, which is the weight of the car, at 110 miles an hour. If you could get it 
to 180 miles an hour, yeah. it would be like four tons of downforce. Oh, wow. Okay. So you could, you could drive upside down. Well, you could drive under, upside down at 110 and miles 110, yeah. Roughly. So or it's like the difference, yeah. but that's like downforce. That's what, if you drive that car, you get a real appreciation for what downforce is. Okay. The, I would say in fast road cars, like a GT3 RS or something, you do get an appreciation of downforce because everything feels like much more stable. Yes. But you do not get the like face melting grip <laughs> that you get <laughs> yeah. with like prop like serious downforce. Like trying to pull G's in a pit special or something, you know, when you're doing loops and you can't even lift yeah. your arms up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 I can yeah, imagine. Yeah. Cause you'd be you'd be I mean if the car weighs six hundred and there's four tons at hundred and eighty, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, you just you could just go you just any corner any angle and you just go whoop yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh cool man yeah it's fascinating so with um osha design yes yeah um you've done a couple of builds of various sorts of things have these been um and i know this is something because we met up yesterday and we had mm. a chat for like five million hours <laughs> Waste a, the, yeah. a lot of your time um mm. but we talked a, a bit about this so i think i feel like this is a reasonably good good topic to dive into um your so some to date have, have they been customer led or have you built them and then sold them or what's happened to the first cars yeah the, the well first cars no first cars got sold because it was actually that was before you know there was some, some of them were motorbikes actually but um osha one was uh was before workshop 77 existed and that was that was the um the uh, 550 replica and then zero two is the beige car which is currently yep. having its engine rebuilt as uh, as i demonstrated yesterday um Three was the a 912 that I did, so a 1968, mm-hmm. 1968 right hand drive 912 that we we I suppose I suppose to be true to the Osher brand now at the time it was one of our little Osher cars, but to, yeah. to be true to the brand now it wasn't a full Osher build because um because we didn't go back to bare metal on it. Okay, uh, it was a bit of a survivor car. The paint was the original paint, but we did we made some number of changes to it, and and that was that was four. Um, Three. What color? Um, yeah, ivory. What color was that? Uh, it was an ivory color. And so, is that um, what engine did you put in that? No, same, same engine. So we kept kept matching numbers okay. engine. So yeah, so the the standard little four pot. And I bought the car thinking, wow, these are so cute. And actually, I have to say, a lot of fun. It was quite nice and light. They're not fast. Ninety brake, I think, from factory, but um, yeah, but probably down a bit yeah, over the years. And yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, not fast, but but I still managed to get to on closed roads again, ninety miles an hour, and yeah. um, and what's kind of cool is left hand drive, so you're sort of just looking out, and the curve <laughs> is right there, and you can just judge how far you need to be based on what you can see right out the right outside yeah. the side window, but um, yeah, quite quite a lot of fun, nice car, but um, having to pay for all the other cars, you know, I, I I remember putting it up for sale, and somebody said to me, why are you selling it? And I said, well, I've got a nine eleven shaped hole that needs filling, and uh, and that was that was what needed, uh, you know, I was having yeah. to pay the money for the for the zero two build. Um, five was the aubergine. So that we recently sold that actually, um, that was sold with a new auction company and, um, they have it and, uh, well, uh, it, it's gone to a new owner. Um, mm. I think it's in, I think it's part of his sort of collection and, uh, and, um, you know, 
I've seen it subsequently advertised, I think, somewhere else. So perhaps I sold it too cheap. Uh, maybe <laughs> <laughs> you know, the guy's gone. Oh wow, cool. Uh, you know, it'd be nice, nice if when it ends up because I'm sure it will, no doubt. Because the car looked really good. I mean, it was flawless. Yeah. Uh, we spent quite a lot of time on it. The car looked flawless, but it actually drove better than it looked. Um, it was such a such a lovely car to drive. It's a cool looking thing. Oh yeah, oh, you got some pics. Oh cool, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, aubergine. Well, it, I got it, and it was it was a tangerine color, um, a US import. But I picked it up. I, I bought it actually on eBay from a chap down in Hastings, Dave. Um, and um, I rang him up, and he sounded like a cool dude. And uh, and I said, yeah, yeah, cool, I'll take it. And you know, sort of, you can do those things occasionally, and just mm. you know, zap a whole bunch of cash at a car you've not even laid eyes on because <laughs> because the guy sounds like he's a cool guy on the phone and um, yeah, yeah 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 anyway i jumped yeah i jumped on the uh yeah that's that's some of it going together yeah i jumped on the, and on a train and went down to hastings and picked the car up and drove it back and it was fine it was cool in fact i used it as my parts car for a little while so i was fetching parts oh, okay. and stuff <laughs> <in it. laughs> yeah and um um and uh, yeah, so it just drove really nicely. That was that was zero five, and then we've had a couple of customer-led builds. Um, and the next one wasn't Porsche; um, it was uh, it was an Alpha, a one hundred five GTV, for a guy that I met originally on Twitter. And um, turns out he's huge in the world of YouTube and stuff. In fact, in fact, <laughs> I had in- the same experience with the same guy. Oh, have you? He's such a nice, such a nice guy. So nice and down to earth and, and, um, and, and in fact, actually I make a point of always congratulating him first before he always hits a milestone on his YouTube channel. Oh, okay, yeah. So um, I don't think he's quite there yet, but um, Ollie congrats on 8 million subscribers on your YouTube channel, <laughs> my boy. So he's got to be bloody close to that now. Fair play. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, um, so he'd been looking for a car and saying, yeah, he needs to find something. And I said, oh, gee, Ollie, you know, why don't, why don't we build one for you? And um, we found a shell, and uh, there was that had just been painted. Um, and this is, I suppose, this is where we've learned some of our, our lessons as well. Uh, I was told that the shell was concourse; it was absolutely mint, it was perfect, and we wouldn't need to do anything to it. And then this thing arrived, and, and it was anything but. Um, so that was where I decided, right, in future, every Osher car goes back to bare metal. So we have a plan in place. Ollie's bombing around in the car now. But um, but we need to get it back and get it completely stripped down and repainted for him, true to Osher mm. um, rules, so to speak. So uh, so yeah, uh, but that was a 105 GTV, and he had certain design cues and elements that he wanted. He wanted to keep it a narrow body. He wanted certain GTA or GTR type grills. We spent a huge amount of cash on the suspension and the brakes and just refurbing everything. Did a nice engine build on it. Yep. Um, and um, and it's a cool car. It's uh, it's really good. It's uh, it looks good. It uh, it it uh, it handles nicely. It's nice and light. Uh, I got a bit of stick for that because it was apparently too light. But what's um, it weigh? Um, well, uh, Chris Franklin had it at, at center gravity. Had it on the corner weights, and uh, and it's eight oh five kilograms wet. That so, seems well, pretty light. Yeah, it is light. Well, look, we took a bunch of stuff out of there. You know, it's it's not. It doesn't. Have, rear seats it's got lightweight seats in the front and in fact on that previous pick it's got you know all the uh, all the trailing arms are all drilled out and stuff so so um yeah you know too light who said it was too light and what and what what does that mean you know the internet the internet oh the internet yes yes the internet (laughs) yes the internet font of knowledge yeah that's right yeah you know i always look at these things there's there's internet knowledge internet horsepower is also something that exists oh yeah so um so you know how how much how much horsepower does it have thousand internet horsepowers yes. Yes. yeah ihp <laughs> in reality 
a hundred, you know. So not not so with this car. But um, uh, yeah, that was uh, that was six and uh, seven was the orange. Uh, we're calling it pumpkin. So it was Project Pumpkin was the nine eleven ST replica nineteen seventy one mm. car. But um, and that's also a lovely car. Uh, I took it recently to uh, one of your guests that you've had on here before, but every, and everybody knows him. But Johnny Smith, we took it up to the late yeah. break show, and um, and it was the first time I got to sort of push it a little bit, and uh, it was lovely, man. It was it's it drives so nicely. Dogleg box, um, which I thought would be a little bit difficult, but actually mm. it's okay. Uh, it, it has enough torque. Um, Neil Bainbridge did some work on the engine as well. We we had it in, we did some stuff, but then went to Neil Bainbridge and he set up the injectors and uh, tuned the um, the uh, MFI on it, and um, did some other work. But you just tend to use it like an H box then. So you know, sec- second gear mostly, second if yeah. you're going really slowly, second, third, fourth, and fifth, and um, and uh, works really nicely. Yeah, lovely car. Yeah, really you don't cool. you don't really want to be like going down to first too much in those cars no, with that no, gearbox no. if you want it it's like <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah exactly that exactly that and i think faisal the uh, the owner sort of just discovered that now you know he's like oh it's a bit bit notchy in first and you go yeah but you don't need first you know unless you're unless you're, <laughs> unless you're at zero miles an hour but even if you're only doing i don't know four miles an hour second is fine and uh, and it's got the torque to be able to get you out of there so yeah. a nice engine you know nice 2.3 um 270 brake i think so um so yeah nice sounds like a decent amount of power in something that sounds lovely sounds lovely and looks cool um that actually a little bit like i'd said about that actually i I got i sidetracked myself earlier but my 911 the aubergine one was tangerine when i got it and as we started stripping it we saw some uh, some aubergine overspray on the inside door panels and that and we said right yeah it's got to go back to aubergine doesn't it got the coa and confirmed that it was aubergine with beige leatherette interior and i wasn't getting beige leatherette (laughs) but um but uh you know it went back to the original color but which we tweaked slightly so it had a little bit more black in it and and it was exactly the same with faisal's car it came to us yellow uh as a a bit of a race car really and um as we started stripping it, we saw some of the original signal orange coming through. So, uh, so we did some spray outs. And this is what I like doing with the Osher cars. We had some spray outs. If you're aware of signal orange, it has a, a, a fraction of black in it in the, in the paint okay. recipe. Um, so it's 0.8%, um, effectively 0.8%, but sometimes people measure it in milliliters per, per thousand per liter. And uh, so this is about 0.8% black, but we had to spray out at 0.8%, 0.6, 0.4, 0.2, and zero. Yeah. And then and then Faisal had all these spray outs and these chips, and he was sort of holding them in the sun and bending them and and looking at it and going, you know, yeah, yeah, this 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 one this one's cool. This is this is a little less pasty because actually, as you put more black into it, it does tend to sort of make the the signal orange a bit more pasty, and it normally is okay. a bit more of an, a, a pasty color. Than, uh, than a standard sort of vibrant orange uh, mm. and we settled on point two so <laughs> so it's uh, it's officially known as this faisal signal orange and it's uh, it's nice. got point two percent black in it and um it's and I, and I like being able to do that i like being able to tweak these things so you know it's unique to him yeah i think that's really cool i had with my um sc backdate that is signal <clears throat> yellow it is and yes. um I one day went to Auto Farm for I think it was I was taking it in for a service or something, and they had there was a a seventy two S that was painted that was restored and painted at the same time as my car. Yeah. They the guy with the seventy two S was having his car like whatever touched up, redone, resprayed or something, 
and they used what was sort of left of the paint or the same batch on my car. So they were exactly the same okay. batch of paint from the same spray place, like done like one day before or something. Okay. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Except they look completely different. Oh, really? <laughs> so... My car, if you put them side by side, is slightly lighter. It's oh, like a, I would say it's a bit more yellow and a bit less orange. Okay. And um, I wonder if it's a love, base coat. I wonder if it's a base coat yeah, as a result. God knows. Okay. Um, I almost wonder if they mixed up the paint, painted my car, ran out of paint, mixed another batch, and then did his car. Because um, there's no way they're the, unless it was something to do with the base. Yeah. Um, but I've now, I thought, signal yellow, that's my colour. I love that colour. Yeah. Great. But now I've seen two cars that are signal yellow, one of which I like, yeah. one of which is okay, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't you pick would, yeah. it now. You wouldn't, yeah, I'd yeah. be like, oh, okay, okay. I want you to colour match this car. Yes. Like people saying, you know, I've got this bit of leather that I want to colour yeah, match. Yeah, but yeah. like different cars do show different colours slightly yeah, yeah, differently yeah. for some reason. Cars do. I, I I would agree with that. Yes. Um, yeah. Maybe the chap who was mixing the paint could have been Ryan. I wonder if, if it got maybe painted where I think it was. But um, but anyway, put Ryan's a bit more black in. There. But maybe <laughs> maybe maybe ended up with a bit more white. But um, yeah yeah yeah. But oh, it's, interesting. It's, it's interesting. Like when you start to look at shades, and I was um, I met someone this morning to drive his nine nine two GT three, and. Nice. He was uh, looking at my GT3 RS and was like, what color is that? Because I'm not sure what color that is. And he's only relatively aware of the newer colors. So I said, it's aqua blue. And then straight away, he said, it's got a lot less purple in than um, the current car color on cars, which is gentian blue. And when you look at the sort of the shade on that car, so anything that's not direct sun, you know, the sort of fall off after that. On any of the new cars, there's loads of purple. Okay. And it's the same with TDF blue, the Ferrari color. There's loads of purple in that shade bit, whereas okay. aqua blue has, has a lot, lot, lot less. And what it then does is if you put the two cars next to each other, under direct lights, yes. they look the same. Okay. But in real world situations, one just pops. The one that doesn't have the purple in it, to my eyes, just pops a yes. little bit better and you can't, you couldn't tell it until yeah. you put them next to each other. You'd be like, they're the same. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think it would be the same with this 911 ST. I'd love to see Faisal's car next to another one. You know, we're mm. talking 0.8 versus 0.2 percent black, 
and that and the rest <laughs> of the recipe is also the same. It's all PPG paint. It's the same, you know, high quality paint. Yeah. Um, and I would I would love to see how much different it is, or if there is any difference. Uh, I bet it's. I bet it's. I, I bet there is. I bet it's marked actually in the real world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Eyes wow. are far too good at spotting yes. differences in stuff, yes. like to a crazy level. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah, I, I don't I, know whether I, you I, have. I, I can look across the room and say that is not straight, and it can be, <laughs> or that's not that picture is not in the middle of that space, and it might be slightly out. Yeah. Well, I'm. I'm. I, you know, I tend to do. I suppose it's the, the problem with doing what we do now. You know, cars arrive, and instead of me looking at the car as as a whole, as a whole entity, and going, "Wow, that's amazing." I tend to sort of start looking for panel gaps and looking down the paint and looking for something that I might be blamed for. Like, Hey man, that scratch wasn't here when the car arrived and now it is. And you know, so, um, so it's, it's a bit sad actually. I, I, I think I've got to try and get away from that. I think I must, you know, be a little less discerning or something. Oh, I don't know. I think yeah. for your clients, it's good that you're oh, yeah, like no, I that. think it has to be like that, but, but I've lost the for enjoyment you. of it. You know, I, you know, if, if, if I'd seen your, your F40 recently or something, I'd go, yeah, 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 I know it's had a color change and, and oh yeah, look, yeah, they've done that wrong. Yeah, although, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I, although I might be, I might've been pleasantly surprised. I think you'd just Maybe be like, that's been. amazing. I probably would have been, I probably would have been <laughs> top, top three cars in the world. So, uh, yeah. So, actually, so yeah. okay. So you're in your place now, mm. which, the, the, and the layout of the site you're on is uh, interesting. So you yes. started in Workshop 77. You're now in number Building 14. 14. Building yes. 14, yes. which is very close to number 77, which yes. is odd. And it's behind number five. <laughs> and uh, Right next door to number 78 as well. It's 78. It's 78. It's 70, like, yeah. And building 86 is opposite or something. Yeah. So, yeah. It's yeah. very tricky to find <laughs> yeah. building. I mean, it's not yeah. that hard, but you do walk in the site and go, right, where's the logic and how these buildings are numbered? And they've got massive numbers on the outside. Yeah. Uh, okay. It's yeah. somewhere in there. I don't know. We'll work super, it out. Super interesting site. It was, it was apparently the escape route for the king had Napoleon managed to get into London. Oh, okay. So had Napoleon managed to be a bit more successful and, uh, and, and Nelson less so, then um, the king would have been whisked up and stuck in the middle of the country, um, surrounded by the canals. So the network of canals meant that you can mobilize an army and move an army. You, you, can, you can effectively march an army 10 miles a day by sticking them on mm. a canal boat and having a horse drag it up the towpath. So the army's in position, but still rested. So you're not actually having to force, force march them. Yeah. Um, and uh, anyway, that never happened. But it was the, it was the armaments depot and stores for... Anglo-Boer War, Anglo-Zulu, uh, Crimea, World War One and Two, um, and only stopped being used as a military base. I think sort of nineteen seventies ish. Okay, yeah. So as as late as that. Um, in fact, we, we we had an old boy pop into the workshop, and and you know he was about one hundred and sixty three years old, and uh, he'd apparently worked on the site um, when he was a kid, and uh, he wasn't really one hundred and sixty, by the way. I, I, I expected <laughs> expect a bit more acknowledgement of like, oh wow, wow. just in case you were saying, God, that guy is weird. Um, anyway, so this this super old dude pitched up, and he'd been a kid, and he was he was responsible for distributing letters around the site, and was seen as a real sort of hero and legend at school because he was allowed onto the site and had to sign official secrets act and. Uh, and the military police stopped people going in there. But um, And he was telling us a little bit about it. But, um, yeah, a huge amount of ordnance came out of there, guns, gun barrels, um, gunpowder, um, later stages, I think, bicycles, uh, military-style bicycles, and, um, and, and even boots. 
so the canal is there, and, uh, and I think it was it was about a hundred and fifty acre site. So yeah, yeah, immense, immense site. And um, the owner, uh, Michael Chittenden, and his son James are, uh, you know, they're trying to develop it, um, but it's it's just a huge amount of money because those buildings are big and they're listed. Um, but it's got that canal down the middle and all the railway lines that go through. It. Yeah, and, uh, well, we've managed to unearth some old photos of the place, but um, yeah, yeah, fascinating. It's but yeah, so that's so, so that's where we ended up, um, and 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 our particular building as well with those nice big windows looks great on Instagram. But uh, the reality <laughs> is, you know, there's 225 year old floorboards above us, dropping 225 years worth of dust onto the cars, and and those big cast iron pillars that are in the middle means we have to keep a, a central corridor clear. Um, it gets pretty chilly, so it's a difficult building to heat. Um, yeah. Yeah, it has it has challenges. So uh, so we've we've been looking for a little while to try and move into a new place. It makes sense. It makes sense for the type of builds we're trying to do, and the way we're trying to build these cars. Um, I need them to be flawless. I don't want, I don't need it to look good on Instagram. I want the car at the end of it to be yeah. something we talk about. Not oh wow, lots of lat- lots of uh, nice natural light. You know that's that's it's not really important. Was it quite difficult to find the new site? Um, um, yes, yes. And it's, it's, I suppose it was, I mean, I've been looking around a little bit to try and do something different. And I thought, you know, the plan was to maybe do a, uh, to buy a farmhouse and have some buildings and try and convert yeah. those. And, you know, that's the sort of dream, isn't it? You know, you put a racetrack <laughs> in the garden. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. Big enough. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so this is, this is on an existing site. There are some developers. In fact, actually the developers have got a radical as well, I think. Um, but they, um, they were busy building. They have a site. They had permission. Uh, it's only four miles up the road, but um, they have planning permission to put a block of six, a block of three, and a block of two in. And I approached them and I said, "Look, it'd be nice, but a block, a one, one single building is far too small. Um, I'd probably need three. And you've got a block of three. Could I buy that block of three? And uh, there was somebody who'd already spoken for one of the buildings, but they managed to move him off into one of the others. Mm. So, so we have that block of three. So we own it. We own the freehold." We're busy building it, and uh, and it's I suppose efficient financially for us to be able to do that because my wife's company recently bought my company, so so my wife's okay. company is now the Topco of Workshop Seventy Seven, but um, and she makes sure I remember it too. But <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't. She's very good, and um, and uh, so so yeah, so so we we have this on on a pre existing site. Um, but they allowed because we own the whole block. They allowed us to make a number of changes to it. So, so I suppose we've done a workshop seventy-seven to our own building. Um, yeah, you know we've breathed on it. It's uh, <laughs> it's about six hundred mil higher than the other buildings. We have glass concertina doors instead of a standard industrial style roller shutter door that's higher. We don't need the height. We're not driving big box fans into it to load as a workshop yeah. would be. We've got mezzanine space in there. We've got um, it's not being built out of the same. The red brick, ours is actually built out of uh, out of a micro rib um, anthracite uh, cladding. Okay. So it'd be nice and efficient, um, easy to put up as well, nice and easy to clean, and and also look a little different to everything. So um, so yeah, um, I'm super super jazzed about moving into it. <laughs> I'm you know <laughs> yeah I'm looking forward to it. Um, we are two months behind schedule already. We were supposed to be in on the 21st of August. So that is <clears throat> that is presenting a number of challenges to us because we should have vacated where we are. We're a little bit in a holding pattern right now. Yeah. We've got 
stuff crammed into corners that should already be in the new workshop. Um, I've got a, a new chap starting and he's only starting once we've made the move and I'm really looking forward to him joining the team because he's going to add a lot to it. We've got a nice team now as well, which I'm very pleased with. They've got a nice skill set. They work nicely together. They've got a lot of experience. Um, so that's good. And um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just really looking forward to making this move um, when it eventually happens. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know. Has building the team been tricky? Getting, you know, sort of people that really know their shit yeah um, yeah in. yeah it has yeah it has um and and there are a lot of people that know a lot of things um you know i can see why people specialize in an area you know if we were if we were car manufacturers we could have one guy who just did that engine and that would be all he does every single day is hammer out that mm. engine and perhaps we're, we're 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 sort of tying one hand behind our backs on ourselves we're hamstringing ourselves by by going across not being brand specific the fact that we will look at alphas land rovers what have we got in the workshop now? Supermark three, the Ultima, a nineteen thirty eight Ford pickup, a couple of Mercs, mini, three or mini, four Mercs, Fiat five hundred. Oh, Fiat five hundred. Yes, that that that's interesting. That's going to go EV. So um, so that's an interesting little project. Uh, Chamois SL is in um, the bikes. You know, I like the bikes too. So uh, and and Andy Bolton's nine eleven, that Targa of his is in a lovely looking black Targa. So um, so yes, the fact that we're not brand specific. Um, is probably a challenge um, and to find people that are prepared to do that and have the ability to be able to dot and dab mm. onto these sorts of things uh, while still maintaining high standards is uh, is a challenge. Um, but, um, but, you know, we're nearly four years in now. So having said that, we've now, we've now established something and it may change again. You know, um, uh, we, we, I, I need to be flexible. That's the one thing we do have that a big organization like, JLR perhaps doesn't have you know we yeah. are we are the small entity and 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 because of it we are maneuverable we can change it up gee you know I can walk back after this little podcast and I can walk into the workshop and we can change it up immediately and and you know say yeah. right that's it we're no longer doing it like this we're doing it like that <laughs> and uh, Aston Martin Mercedes Jaguar none of them could do that really you know so uh, so that's that's perhaps our our uh, to our advantage mm. um, but um, yeah building the team was difficult but uh, you know. Um, but um, we've, we've had some guys, we've had some guys try and it hasn't quite worked out. Uh, we've had some guys stay around for longer. And uh, like I said, they've gone off and doing their own thing now. And, um, and uh, fair enough, you know, it's, uh, it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think um, future of Osher Design? What would you like to be doing in, you know, a couple of years, line everything up? Yeah, well, I think, and, and we're lucky. We're, I think we're just starting to get a bit of traction now. So we're, I suppose selling build slots is, is one way of looking at it. You know, I think, I think everybody, you can't help it. You can't help but look at what Rob has done with Singer and yeah. go, gee, you know, wow, aren't they the pinnacle? You know, people reimagined wasn't a word until they started using it. Now everybody's just reimagined. You know, we're reimagining, we're reimagining this and, 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 and everything's reimagined. And uh, yeah. so they, they've been very wildly successful. So that's cool. So, um, yeah, build slots. Uh, we don't have a huge amount of space. Um, we will use it far more efficiently than we're currently using our space, but we don't have we don't have the scale. We, we're not on that farm. I can't just say, well, you know, let's stick another ten thousand square foot barn up, and we will yeah. expand into that. But I don't think I want that. You know, I think I think this is one of the things that I've learned that I don't want a huge team. I don't want fifteen mechanics running around. Um, there is money to be made in that. We could be servicing Porsches. Um, especially when you find that the competition is, is Porsche Silverstone, for example. And I think on classic cars, they're about 150 quid plus VAT an hour. 
and and we could do it significantly cheaper than that so yeah. you know so so we could probably attract people in like that and maybe do it a bit more like auto farm does but yeah. um but that brings a lot of pressure and that to be perfectly honest because this isn't a commercial venture this isn't something that, that is you know i wanted to wash its face really that's really all it's about so if if we can if we can bring in those projects that, that do that, that allow us to work on cool things, that allow me to work quite closely with the customer and we can design some stuff and, and, and spend three hours pouring over fabric samples or leather samples yeah. or leather shades against 0 0.8, 0 0.6, 0 0.4, 0.2% black in, in, in Signal Orange, then, then that would be quite cool. So, um, so I think we would have the capacity to be able to breathe on some Workshop 77 breathe on cars. Um, and have capacity to do sort of two sports car builds a year and then two adventure cars because we're doing Osher Adventure as well. And uh, because of my upbringing, growing up on a farm in Botswana, uh, the border between South Africa and Botswana with HJs and FJs and Land Rovers, and uh, I learned to drive a CJ2A, so that's what I learned to drive in was a Williams yeah, Jeep yeah. with, with an Essex 3-liter V6, <laughs> but still on the three-speed three manual left-hand drive. Um, so, you know, those, those cars excite me and it'd be quite nice to keep doing those and building them to the Osher adventure, which is still the Osher design kind of way and ethos. So what's uh, a, an, clean a, and fast. an Osher adventure car? Well, that is, it's an off-road car. We've, we've, we've got that Land Rover 90 that we currently got in. So it predates the Defender, but post series. But there are things that I'd like to do to it that, um, you know, I mean, Twisted are also very successful, but I don't really want to build a Twisted one. I don't want to copy them as such i don't want to do an ls swap on it but i think i want to make it just clean um and simple but still try and capture that that land rover essence of it from 1963 mm. i think is what i was because we've got two uh two series two a's on the farm in botswana um and um you know try and capture that essence of it but make sure that it, it's a contemporary car um so the, that it can keep up at do 85 miles an hour and not scream its nuts off um yeah. nice and easy to drive you know just something that somebody can jump into and not have to sort of gird their loins and go oh bloody hell and prime the fuel and and uh you know it, all, all, all the hardships with proper classic cars yeah. I kind of want to do away with that a little bit but still keep it a classic car so um and then just clean and simple you know um yeah so in this particular car we're going quite hardcore we've got a dave ashcroft uh, auto gearbox in there so i think that'll that'll help it um keeping it in the family in the land rover family we've got a rover 3.5 liter v8 but it's got the holly sniper efi so the electronic fuel injection on there so that'll yeah. make it reliable and give it a bit more power but mm. um, a big change with this one over most others that i've seen or any others that i've seen is that we've got tractive um the semi-active suspension set up in there okay so it's cost a lot of money i've worked with steve a little bit on this and he's he sort of spec this up and we have a car copying a little bit of what roof do uh, it seems weird to be comparing a, a you know a classic land rover to what roof do but uh, but i've chatted to severin a few times who, who works at roof and uh, and you know try to establish exactly what they do and um you know they've got five settings on their suspension so because it's it has a g sensor in the center of the car which we've we fitted the tractive suspension setups to 964s yeah. before etc and porsches and work really well but um we we're going to have sort of three setting four set five settings on this thing so um effectively four being sort of standard five yeah. being one harder than standard and then three two and one being track soft, mode. softer <laughs> so yeah track mode yeah exactly <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> 
That's right. Just just when you need to get down to Tesco's, that little bit quicker. Yeah. And um, so, uh, yeah. So so, uh, but but hopefully, what it will do is fix those hang-ups that people complain about with a Land Rover. Um, they can drive like crap sometimes, you know, that pitch yeah. and roll and stuff. So having that G sensor in there and the fact that the damper will will uh, correct itself within and, and make adjustments in six milliseconds, so one one hundredth of a second, it'll it'll stiffen up that corner or roll it out or, or soften it up. And I think I think and I'm hoping and this is a little bit fingers crossed and see how it goes, but uh, we'll see how that works. Um, yeah. And then we've got an FJ, so we'll do a, we'll do a Land Cruiser next. We've got it there ready and waiting, but uh, probably. At least initially, we're thinking maybe a one UZ motor in there. So, uh, so the from a Lexus, so uh, okay, so a V8 Lexus motor. Yeah. So plenty of torque, plenty of grunt. Not, not LSE. Not screaming. It's nuts off again. Um, not huge amounts of power, but nice and refined. I think. I think that's kind of what it is. It's more. It's more. It's less Terminator, James Bond wannabe Land Rover and FJ, and more Pimsa clock. A little bit more, yeah. more fine. <laughs> so, yeah. I nice. Think. So, yeah, nice. so that's the Osha thing. So, so ideally, two sports car builds a year, um, and we've got the next two years sort of booked in. Um, 9.30 is what we're looking at. Um, uh, BMW, so uh, an E9, uh, which we're busy with. Um, a 2002, which we're busy with. Uh, so it's been oh, a cool. little bit, it's, yeah. it's a bit like buses, man. You know, we do bugger all and then suddenly these Porsches come along and then and then it's bunches of BMWs. And, and you look in the workshop now and I think there's four or five Mercs in there. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, weirdly. But, um, yeah, so uh, so so it's, um, that's that's kind of where I think we want to be. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll sort of aim for that, at least initially. Uh, we can change that. As I said, you know, as soon as yeah. we get back into the workshop, I can change it up. But I'd like to do two full Osher sports car builds a year, two full adventure cars a year, and then just breathe on some stuff. And then just build cool stuff for ourselves, you know. I've yeah. saw, I saw I saw one of those belly tank racer things the other day. And I thought, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, how could you not love it? You know, look yeah. at it and you think, holy shit, that's so cool, man. We must build one. So I think I think we'll try to, you know. And the Ford, nice. yeah. I was busy with Johnny earlier because we were we were looking at trying to do something with the chassis and finally get onto that 1938 half-ton Ford pickup of ours as, as the shop truck, mm. and um, and just trying to bring parts in from the states is just so difficult. It's all readily available there, but the shipping costs just triple the cost of it. Okay, yeah. So I think we'll take the existing chassis and we'll modify it, and uh, and uh, and we got to do it because how cool, man. And and my original plan for that car, and the reason I originally bought it was that. My little boy was going to nursery, and um, and I've told this story to plenty of people before, so they'll all, they'll all have heard it, so apologies to them. But my kid was going to nursery, and one of the dads is, I think he was the conditioning coach or something for Northampton Saints, and uh, they, all the girls sort of swooned over him every time he pitched up, and I thought, <laughs> hey, man, you haven't seen it. I'm going to have end up with a 1938 Ford with a V8, 5-litre V8 in there. Then we'll see who's cool, you know. <laughs> Just screw you, Gary. <laughs> check out that Ford pickup on it's uh, you know sliding along on the ground there. That's cool. So uh, so that's a that's a bit of a motivator I think sometimes in these things. And, and then and by it, the time it's finished, your kid will have left. School. Oh yeah, man, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it can be his first car. It'll probably just be ready yeah. by the time he's learning how to drive, and he's only four years old now. So yeah. Yeah. Like, why is it dragging along the floor? Shut up. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. It was cool in 2021. You know. <laughs> yeah. 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 No now, one drives anymore. Nobody drives anymore. We Uber. We, you know we call. Our spaceship up on our, on our little, you know, our inbuilt earphones in our ears. So yeah. When I came into the workshop, 
and mm. I was having a little look around. I saw uh, your you've you've got a motorbike in sort of build at the moment, and I'm not massively into bikes. I'm not I'm not sort of like not into bikes but i'm not like massively into bikes used to ride a motocross bike when i was younger cool. but have sort of avoided the the road the road bike stuff just from a i don't want to die but i do appreciate and i thought it was very visible on the bike that we had in the shop like you can do a bunch of cool kind of engineering neat stuff on a bike and it's like instantly visible whereas cars you can do a lot of cool stuff but often it's hidden and you can't see it and like that is that something you particularly like about the the whole bike scene and, and what's it like working on bikes yeah I, it, it's it's a lot more instant uh well a, a lot faster on bikes and yes exactly you know i'd never really thought about it the way you've just described it but yes it is it is instantly a bit more visible um it's uh they're, they're far smaller budgets which is which is handy because you know you yeah. do a 911 and you're like holy hell sweating every time you have to do a bank transfer or something again and the bikes are on the face of it a lot more affordable um yeah that particular one is a k100 flying brick so bmw um the r series was very popular i was down in uh the the bike sheds um the tobacco docks when they do their little bike mm. builds and the r series with the boxer engine had become very popular and there were a lot of them being done either as cafe races or as scrambler type bikes and things yeah um yeah you want to look for one that's sort of uh, in stock yeah that's that's kind of stock and even <laughs> then, even then i think that one's been souped a little i think that might be a k that might be a k75 so um a slight precursor one with a three-cylinder engine but um, big heavy bikes. But then you can see now that they're becoming popular as a cafe mm. builder bike. And uh, Johnny, one of Why? my guys, um, I think because they're just so big and heavy and nineteen eighties looking. They look like okay. a pretty, you know, German police boat motorbike. Um, yeah. They're probably good to ride. They're not super fast. They're a nice shaft drive bike. Um, and and you take. 70 kilograms worth of crap off the bike and all of a sudden you've got something <laughs> wow, that, yeah. that's, that, that's transformed and all you've done is take stuff off you know the the yeah. alternator i don't know if you noticed but the alternator is huge it's, it's it's about three and a half inches in diameter it, it it would be enough to power an e30 m3 you know so you could put it on a bmw car and it would work um <laughs> so yeah, there are there are some parts that are available for it that are that are kind of bolt on. So we've we've looked at that and we've modified them. Just prior to doing this bike, actually, we built and modified massively a, one of the uh, brand new um, Triumph Thruxton RSs, uh, which hadn't been done before. Um, we built it for a chap, and um, um, we haven't really spoken about it at all or shown any photos about it and perhaps one day we will but um but we wanted to keep it a little bit secretive and mm. and there's these little tips and tricks and things we did to it so that was a new bike that we did and converted and made look old with um you know there's certain design elements that are quite popular now the the scrambler element to these bikes is popular yeah. the, the brat style bike is popular so brat styles being generally twin shocks on the back and then a flat seat a japanese style so it's kind of like okay. a japanese cafe racer scrambler crossover and it's got a flatter seat and space for two people because that was popular in japan to be able to have a, a, a passenger on the back of these things whereas the cafe okay. racers weren't but uh, but i like cafe racers i like a nice swoop line so i've just tried to take some of the elements of that and um and and put it into this bike and you can do these neat little things like frenching in that little that speedo that goes nicely into the top the triple clamp on the top and and neat little things that you can do um, and show off. And there's and there's some stuff available that is bolt-on that makes it 
easier as well. And if you if you use your imagination sometimes with these bolt-on parts, you can make them look a little bit more special or quite a bit more special than just stock bolts yeah. and stuff. So, it was, um, I, the bike in the in the shop at the moment is just it's really cool looking. Uh, I, was cool, like, I would I like just put that in my garage. I'll just yeah. look at it. I think and, I'll put it in my lounge. I think that's really yeah, 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 yeah. Drain the put fluids, it put it in the lounge. And, yeah. Well, it had it had something, and and for those that are into bikes, this might have been around for ages. But you you're telling me that you can put you have like a chip. Is it like a chip in your glove? Yes, yeah. So it's a little chip. It's uh, it's off it's off a off the shelf product called called uh, called Mo Unit. Um, mm. But but we've 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 got a, a prototyping ignition system on there as well because we've knocked the in the injection system off. But um, yeah, so the chip is in your glove or in your jeans or wherever it might, might want to have it. But as you sit on the bike, then the ignition comes alive. So there's no key. And then equally, when you get off it, you just jump off the bike and kill the power, but then walk away and it shuts down. Yeah. It shuts all the ignition and everything. So what down, happens, so. let's say you're that mm-hmm. guy, pretty cool, cruising <laughs> along. And then you're like, ah, oh, just going to take my hands off. Does it just turn off? No, yeah. Well, yeah. If you threw your glove away, because it's on a proximity, so um, so it's not it's not a glove on the actual handlebar. It's proximity. Okay, so it's a bit like actual, a wireless car thing. It's exactly like that. Within yeah, yeah, yeah. five yeah. feet or something. Yeah, in fact, it's probably about six feet. So um, okay. So if you took your glove off and lobbed it over a bush, then then, <laughs> then I don't know. I wonder what would happen. We'll have to find out. We'll you know. I'll, or if I'll, you lost I'll your report glove. Back. Yeah, if you lost your so, glove, you. Well, you. It, it's not that complicated. You have to take the tank off and make a few modifications and uh, bring it back. Okay. Bring it, bring it back. Well, after you've bought it, Sam, yeah. bring it back. If, once you've got <laughs> it out of your lounge, and if you've lost your glove, we'll sort it out for you. <laughs> I think I would be, a, yeah. See, I, I think in that regard, I wouldn't have it in my glove. Mm. It, oh, you're probably okay. riding with gloves on all the time. I get that. Yeah. But then I'd probably do. Put it in I'd your have lid. It like, have it in your lid. Yeah, yeah. That's it. That's okay. it. Have it in your helmet. Yeah. or it just on a little fob yeah. in your pocket or something. Yeah, yeah. But well, we did that with the, with, with, the, uh, with the Thruxton RS. Um, the, it's got a big transponder unit in the key, so the ignition mm. barrel is actually quite a large unit, and we just wanted to lose that big bunch of keys that sort of sits up by the speedo and right in yeah. front of your vision. So we lobbed that off, and we actually moved the transponder unit to a, to a secret hidden spot. And the key has to be in close proximity to that while you do a special sequence of, of switches under the seat. And uh, then that turns the bike on. Um, so okay. then you can start the bike and then put the key back in your pocket. Uh, well, yeah, actually, just, like just turn the ignition on and put the key in your pocket and then fire the bike up. And, um, and I, hope, I hope the guy's getting out there and using it and, uh, and enjoying it. Yeah, that's cool. I like that sort of stuff, especially for things that are easy to steal. I mean, bikes, yeah. you can still pick them up and move them around or whatever. But yeah. Um, like good luck with, good luck with that, that flying brick. You saw the size of that engine. I mean, I told yeah. you, the alternator is this big. That weighs like 70 kilograms by itself, I imagine. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think most of us, definitely London people, have seen the videos of the guys on the scooters, just Man. like yeah. foot on on the bike, like wheeling it down the road. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, yes. that, that, that is something. That is something. So maybe, maybe something to consider in the future. But um, yeah. But, yeah. I mean, you can't really do anything about that. No, no, and, and you know, you. and and the thing is, this bike is it's it's an occasional use bike, really. I suppose I suppose you could use it as a commuter, but it's not that kind of bike. Um, you know, F40, 
GT3 RS, I suppose you could commute in that. You know, you do want that to be able to lock and be put away. But but this sort of bike is not something that you're, you're leaving outside work for eight hours and then coming no. downstairs and finding it should just been stolen. You know, <laughs> you tend to ride it somewhere. You probably you probably park it within view and have a cup of coffee. And yeah. not because you're worried about security, but just because you like looking at it. And then, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then all the other bikers will be like having a look. Yeah. Like, this, yeah. This is different. What's yeah. going on here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. it is. It no. is. I, think, I think it'll be quite nice. Uh, but no. importantly, it has to ride nicely. So we've spent mm. quite a lot of time on the ignition. You know, I've spent quite a lot of time on the on the carb setup, They're taking it off off the you know, off the injection just because we thought it'd be cool, and um, it should sound nice. So uh, yeah, so so it should it should ride nicely. We've spent quite a lot of time working on seating position, making sure that the rear sets and, and are, are nicely set up, not too far back, so that you've got all this pressure on your arms because it has clip-on bars. Right. Uh, you know, the tendency sometimes with these clip-on bars is that you're then sitting at, you know, 30 degrees and, man, that can take some pressure. Your forearms are pumped two, three miles up the road and you want to get off it. So, um, so no, this has to be – it has to look good, but it's got to be comfortable and ride well too. So, And is that set up for the owner or is it sort of like generally for a human – it's probably going to be pretty good. Well, it's generally for a human. We're all roughly similar size-ish, um, but, ish. but we could ish, yeah, ish. I suppose, yeah, I suppose, um, yeah, uh, look, uh, yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're a really big chap, it's probably not the type of bike you want to ride. Um, but that's the case anyway now. You know, there are certain bikes that I would probably prefer to be on. I could ride a motocross bike now better still than I can a sports bike. Yeah, I jump on a, onto a Ducati and I'm just, you know, my, my legs just tend to come up too high and I end up pulling muscles in my groin and stuff when I ride them. I sort of sit on it and I've got to limp around for a few days afterwards because I've, because I've pulled all these muscles. So, um, so that's probably still the case, but, um, it'll be a, a comfortable ish to ride cafe racer. It's not going to be a hardcore thing. Um, the next bike I'm looking to build is a board tracker. So, uh, based on those old, you know, murder, murder, rings and various things that they had uh what's that well board it's, track racer is that right yeah board track racer yeah yeah i just i love the look what of them what the hell i know man i love the look get this up so, on the screen so we'll stick a nice big harley motor in there somewhere and um oh look at those how cool is that <laughs> how cool is that indian man okay so you what know? was a board track well they were racing around on these board tracks these 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 looks like a rings. velodrome it is, is that right? It, it's yeah. It's a, it's a bigger velodrome. It was very popular. Um, guys used to die like mad. I mean, you know, and not just the guys dying. They used to kill the the the, the, uh, the spectators and stuff as well. Just huge amounts of power. But you know, there it is. I mean, look at that. How cool is that, dude? But um, yeah, so take some of those with a nice clean swoop line. I like that line that goes back over the top of the tank and something that goes underneath the tank. And then, yeah. uh, you know, what I did was get my, I've got one of these sketch pad t- uh, tablets and, um, you know, you sort of get on there and you draw the swoop line and you draw another line and underneath and you try and just make it out of three lines. So if I could try and build that okay. bike out of effectively three lines, man, shit hot. It's gonna you be, know, it's, it's going to be cool. Good. Well, up here, up here, it's cool. Yeah. So, so anyway, that's the plan. That's the plan. So uh, interesting. Yeah, interesting. And, and we have that scope. We have the skills. Yeah, importantly, we have guys who can fabricate in house as well. We have guys who can trim mm-hmm. in house, um, and we have guys who are passionate about them. Uh, guys who want to get involved with these. And how cool, you know? We go in today, and we we all sit around as a team and go, well, what about if we? What about if we? And it's it's back to those development days. Instead of instead of you know grinding it up. Instead of 
you know, making sure you put six windscreens into six cars because they've got to get out the door because there's six yeah. people waiting for that car today um, or waiting for parts. And, you know, we've done that before. We've, we've done bushes and bearings on classic cars and they've come in and the bushes have arrived and they're wrong. You're like, oh, shit. So you, get, you wait for the second load of bushes to come and they arrive and they're wrong. Because it's a classic car, they're difficult to find. And then you end up building the car again with the old bushes, giving it back to the customer because he has to have it back because he needed it for that weekend. And, uh, and that's happened to Matt, actually, uh, with one of his little uh, rivage that we did for him. Mm. And we'd had like 12 hours of labor, and the car went back out with the same old shit on it that we'd started with because we didn't Not manage right. to find it. And, uh, you know, the stress, the stress, you end up throwing things through walls because parts orders have been wrong, and uh, I don't, we don't want that, so... So yeah, so board track race. It'd be nice to always have a bike build on the go. On the somewhere. go. So yeah. once once we finish this in the background, um, yeah, we'll get onto that. But that'd that's, be cool. But and that and that is an Osher bike actually. You know, that's an Osher build. Uh, we won't specifically do bikes, but uh, but the other one was a was a Workshop seventy seven bike that we breathed on, um, and it was great to do. Um, and we look forward to trying to do some more of those in the future at some stage. Yeah, they're cool. They're cool. Definitely cool things to have around when you're walking yeah. around. You're like, hmm, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's that? What's that? Yeah. What's that? Very neat. Yeah. Right. Well, I normally wrap these up with five questions. Okay. Do you have a most memorable driving trip or journey? Yes. Yes. Loads of them. Um, you know, I've said it before, but um, you know, how, how do you rank them? They all tend to be, I suppose they involve the cars but they, for me, have involved the people that have been in the car with me. Mm. Um, I've got a little video that I, I'd had the camera mounted on the dashboard of my phone, and I was just filming it, and I had my little boy in the car, and he was, it was the first time he'd been in one of these Porsches because he was only just big enough to get into the yeah. seat that would actually fit in there. And we went up the A5, and I uh, hit the gas a little bit. And, and, and it's, it was completely spontaneous. It's completely without politics because... They don't build dust you, you know. There's no way yeah. a two-year-old build dust you. And he was going wee, and he was laughing, and he loved it. And you're going up the road, and for me, and I'm so pleased that I've managed to got that. I've got that on video, and it's 15 seconds long, yeah. but I can play that, and I'm like, oh wow, man, that was super memorable. And then, and then the the other trip, and and one of my other driving experiences, I think, was just driving mm. that that soft African sunlight. Uh, sun was setting in one of the Land Rovers that we'd rebuilt, um, Series 2A, 1963, up on the farm with my dad, and um, who passed away a few years ago. And we're just driving along this this African track up on the farm and just enjoying the car and the sun and cool. Yeah. And, a, and a leopard actually jumped out on the road in front of us. And both my dad and I sort of looked at each other in a shocked way and then sort of tried to make off after this leopard. And, and, um, and, and yeah, uh, you know, immensely measurable and fun and, and memorable. But then... All those times, you know, test driving a car for the first time, jumping in it and thinking, God, and being that ultra sensitive and hypersensitive to everything and, and feeling a little twitch in your bum and thinking, oh, is, that, is that something letting go or is that, or is that, or how does it feel? Or, and then, and then just getting used to it and relaxing into it. And I did that with Faisal's car the other day, coming back from Johnny's uh, late break show. Um, and the sun was setting and it was nice and, and it was cool. And I just, and I, I pushed on a little bit more than I would normally just to try and test it and to give it a bit of a shakedown. And it just came together so beautifully. And I thought, wow, super cool, man. Um, same with the, same with the, uh, yeah, you know, we know when you think about it, there's, there's a few, yeah, yeah. but often, often in cars that we've built ourselves or I've been involved with building and, and often with people, I think. Uh, yeah. It's always, it's always, and it's a common theme that comes through is, yes. and it's definitely for me, it's the people. Like there okay. are cars involved, 
and it's, you're going somewhere and whatever, but it's like the memories with those people in yes. that time. Yes. Um, your, your point about sort of being nervous driving a car and then sort of like relaxing into it is, is so true. And I think about that on the various cars I've owned or driven. Like, and for me, it sort of revolves around have I sort of take, if I've taken a car on track that mm. I've owned anyway. Yes. I will then push it at low speed, high speed, whatever I feel comfortable at. Um, and then, you know, get the back end out a little bit and whatever. And once I've done all of those things, my sort of like tests as yes. such, I then am like so much more comfortable in that car because I know one where the edge is, one what happens when you go over the edge, rather than sometimes you drive a car, especially and if it's a modern one, for example, you might be driving quite quickly, but you have no idea what happens if you go a bit faster, a bit faster, a bit faster, yeah. a bit yeah. faster, until eventually something happens. But yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting, it's interesting that sort of like comfort that comes when you know, like, like I'm comfortable in this car. It's not going to yes. kill me. It's okay. Now I can just cruise around. <laughs> now, now, now you can enjoy it. And yeah, yeah, that confidence level does grow. Yeah. I used to find the same. I mean, you, you may have found it with motocross. But, you know, the first 10 minutes on the motocross bike and you're tentatively jumping it. And then yeah. by the end of the day, you think you're bloody Travis Pastrana. You know, what? <laughs> and you're still, only, you're still only jumping, you know, three foot. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, 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 but yeah. you still think, but you ground, think you're yeah. Travis Pastrana. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. If you could only drive one car for the rest of your life, I mean, this, this question is definitely phrased wrong, but one car for the rest of your life yes. and you've got another car that costs 500 pounds. So one unlimited oh, okay, value okay, car okay, okay, and okay. 500 pounds for something else. Oh man, um, you know, I, sh- I suppose I should be fair and I should only base this on cars that I've driven because no. things like a C- okay, well, yeah, but but what happens if driving your F40 was shit? You know, I well, don't know. It could be, could yeah, be. I know. So, I mean, I, I mean, sold it. So, I know. It must have been rubbish, dude. <laughs> it must have been rubbish. So, so yeah, um, so, um, I mean, I do, I do like, you know, CGT or F40 would be up there. I'd love to get something sort of pre-war, so would it be that? I don't know. I think maybe, oh, maybe a CGT, but I don't want to pay for the intervals. Oh, I've got to pay for the servicing. Yeah. Uh, you don't yeah. have to worry about that. Oh, okay, okay, cool, cool, cool. All right, cool. Yeah, F40. Cool, cool. Right. What is the most undervalued car at the moment? What do you think should be worth more? Tricky in current market. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. What, what, yeah, what aren't worth more? Um, do you know? I think maybe something like. I mean, it depends. It's got to be sorted, but like a C one hundred and seven Merc. Um, so like the SLs, but uh, but a hard top. Okay. Um, um, yeah, I think I think they're undervalued, and and maybe even something like an eight forty. You know, the, the German Ferrari, mm. because you can pick them up for like ten grand and. And gee, that eight forty. Now, in fact, I, I was honestly, I was looking looking at one for my wife. Yes, yeah, so the C one hundred sevens. We we had. That's cool. Yes, look at that, man. I think we've got to build one. I was looking at that for my wife. Maybe I thought we because we did one. And um, yeah, no, the uh, yeah the older one, yeah, the uh, top black. So uh, E twenty eight, E E thirty one, E thirty one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, for ten grand, look at that. Gee. Yeah, a lot of style, isn't it? A lot of style, something lot like of style. that. Especially if you, especially if you tweaked it. If you workshop seventy-seven did a little bit, you know, maybe <laughs> different wheels and 
just a little bit on the lows and uh, it's, yeah. it's still an immense car. It's something you can it's, probably daily comfortably. It's amazing all. the difference between, and, and this was an interesting example. When I said earlier about seeing that 72S next to my car, mm. my car kind of looks a bit like a 73ST, something like that. Yes. But the two next to each other, to my eyes, the 72S just looks like vintage and actually yeah. as time goes on i'm starting to appreciate that look a little bit more yes. but my car just looks so much more like badass like not it's not ridiculous it's bright yellow for god's sake yeah. but just like it's like the correct height the tires fill the arches it's yeah. got like a bit of stance yeah. it's got some like extra lights on the front and stuff and you're just like oh man that is for some reason that is just so much cooler to me right now than the other one yes yeah yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And that's kind of why I like my 1970 hot rod. You know, it's, it's mm. wide arched. It's wide arched not because I like wide arches, because I've got that subframe of a 993 in the back there. And, um, but it, so it had to be like that. But, um, but yeah, you know, I like that. Uh, you know, it's a little bit rude boy, isn't it? You know, I like it. I'm a bit stancy. I'm a little bit stancy. I'm not super stancy. I'm a little bit stancy. Yeah, just a little bit. Just like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. So it looks a bit good. more contemporary. A bit more contemporary. Yeah. Exactly. What do you think is the most interesting car to you at the moment? What are you giggling? What are you looking up? Working um, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I don't know, really. I mean, I'm looking at a lot of bikes, I think. I think that's primarily okay. what I'm looking at, you know, those board tracker type things. But, yeah. um, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of stuff that's interesting. I, I would still love... So, so pre-war, man, you know, for me, I think uh, I haven't scratched that itch. I don't know what they drive like. Uh, one of my mechanics has built an XK120, sort of. It's a bit, bit resto yeah. moddy ish um, and, um, and I quite like that. It's not that's, that, that's not the car for me, but, but something with a boat tail, something, mm. it, I suppose almost, maybe it's board tracker, but in a car version, you know, where yeah, the wheels actually... Yeah, switching lines and, and stuff. But the wheels sit up a little bit higher, so, so the center of gravity is quite nice and low. You know, those belly pan races, uh, those, those things that they were doing the Bonneville flats with, and yeah. um, kind of that, I think, is, is that, that's sort of the line that I'm sort of looking for right now, I think. Um, I'd love that. But then, but then you know, we're, we're just getting into this E9 project properly as well, and, and the way we're going to build that is an Osha car, um, a three liter CSA. It's a CSA engine and I'm going to keep it automatic. Actually, I'm not going to do the manual swap on it, but yeah. um, I think, you know, I think that can just look so cool if we do it nicely with some nice BBSs and some nice lows and some ITBs on the motor and mm. so that it sort of performs and drives and handles nicely, but looks vintage, but, but contemporified. So I suppose it is resto modded. I suppose it is resto modding. Yeah. <laughs> It'll work nicely, yeah. but yeah. That'd be cool. Um, so and, and either, either I like that. that you do different brands. You're not mm. you're not just like this is what we do. This is one model of one car, and it's uh, there's a lot of you know Porsches quite popular at the moment. So people yes. like resto modding older Porsches, and there's a big scene in that. But I think it's cool doing. It's definitely cool doing loads of different stuff. Well, I enjoy it, but like I said, it it, it does bring its challenges. Um, but um, mm. yeah, it is it is enjoyable. Yeah, right. I like that. Final question: mm. five car garage. Yeah, okay. Unlimited value. Um, my my beige nine eleven is one of them okay. that goes in there, stays in there because yeah. I love that car. Um, something pre war, so a Bentley blower of some description. Um, yeah, because that's pretty cool. That's um, pretty cool. Yeah, F forty because because yeah. that's cool. 
I didn't know if I'd like them, but that DLS, I think, never having driven one, never having even driven a classic singer, mm. I, th- I think, I think, I mean, I just love that. I love, I love, I think maybe the interior's a little fussy, so don't tell the chap who designed it. <laughs> I, I, I'll probably, yeah, he, he, he may, maybe he watches the podcast. So I think elements are really a little fussy, but, um, but I but think. you can do whatever uh, you like. Yeah. But I, if I, you're, no. you're paying that money, I think you can have your interior however you can like. You? I thought it was like a kit car, man. I thought it was like, this is how it comes. <laughs> anyway. I, I think you have a certain <laughs> license in your, insert large amount Into of money your price. One, one, one point eight or something. Yeah. Dollars. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think I'd like one of those. Um, yeah. And then, and then, um, a classic, probably an FJ 45, something like that. So a Land mm. Cruiser, but, uh, but the resto modded one. So either that or, or my Land Rover, the Whippersy building, I think that would be in there as well. So, Something that's like a little beach runner type, or four yeah. by four, or for the days it snows, and then and then that 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 DLS and, uh, and the F40 <laughs> yeah. and my car, because you know, well, it's got a lot yeah. of sentimental attachment, and it's a bloody good car, and um, you will drive it one day, and I will. Uh, I will. And, and, <laughs> and then and then you know, for how cool, you know, Bigglesworth, you know, pop pop the bloody flying head yeah. on and the big sheepskin and and bomb off in this bloody Bentley blower, but it has to have a boat tail, and I only want it to be a two seater. You know, so, okay. Yeah. So, yeah I've got I drove issues. my first pre-war car mm-hmm. the other day. Um, apologies to the person whose car I drove. <laughs> uh, I can't remember what it was. I think it was an AC. It's like oh, an okay. early AC something. Okay. Um, old, and it had like a a crash box. Is that, is that what they're okay, called? Yeah, I don't yeah, know. yeah. So yeah. it's like no synchros, no nothing, and yeah. just and it only had rear brakes. Uh, of which you could lock very easily, which was interesting. Yes. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it's like just trying to drive that, just trying to drive it was really hard. Good your like, loins. Yeah. Like, just like changing down. You're like, I can change up. That's fine. Changing <laughs> down, like double declutching, and then you get it wrong and it just goes, and you're like, nope. And <gasps> then you're like, okay, I'm just going to stop. Stop. Yeah start again go back up and come back down but i can see how people get into that stuff i i think i would possibly want brakes in the front just because oh, yeah. yeah. it's quite nice to be able to hit brakes and not just 180 yeah. your car yeah no you don't want that yeah yeah no, i agree i agree yeah it's like it's like pedaling backwards in the olden days on bicycles yeah. you're probably too young to remember those but we had them where you couldn't freewheel on a bicycle oh okay as soon as, as, soon as you stop pedaling it locks the back wheel up so you'd stand yes. on the and slide it around but um yeah, you don't want that. You don't want that on a car. I had one experience on a fixie. Okay. Now it's like quite, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hip, yeah, hip now. Yeah. But yeah. back when I was 10 or something, okay. went to a friend's house and they had one. It was just a bike. It was just an old bike. Yeah. And like riding along like, Woo! and then I stopped pedaling. Yeah. And then I just ate shit. Slung <laughs> <Just like laughs> you over the handlebars, yeah, rear wheels like, stopped you. Yeah. <laughs> just like, what the hell? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's what I grew up on. <laughs> so, okay, so, I don't, I, so, so I, don't, I don't want that in my classic car that, uh, you know, uh, pre-war classic car, no. Yeah, no uh, centre throttles or any. No, no, my brain's too small for that. I said, I told you, I was riding my next door neighbours, um, built an Indian chief, 1948 Indian chief. And that's, that's on the right hand. So normally where you'd expect throttle to be, that's advance and retard on the timing for starting. Um, left hand is throttle. 
left foot is clutch and right hand is gear change and man alive that's that's patting your head that's everything in the wrong place when he swapped it over he said he couldn't have advance and retired because he was going to crash and uh, and he changed the suicide clutch that you actually have to step on it to release the clutch because it's suicide because in case you you engage the clutch with your left foot but if you lose balance on the bike and take your foot off the clutch bam you're into traffic and dead so you know so um so, yeah, yeah. So he's he's had we to make some changes. I know, I know, I know. Yeah, dangerous as all hell. But um, but then actually, things like throttle and the other whatever that is, advance and retard. Yes, um, you can swap that. That is a non-issue swapping that over. Yeah, it is. It is. Except that you are trying to change gears now with your right hand, and you're also controlling the throttle with your right hand. So you are really into ah. so 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 now. So now you're using the same hand to throttle and change gears. So, yeah, it's it's not as straightforward can, as you think. Yeah. Then you need the yeah. gears on the other side. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And maybe a clutch that's on your left hand because that's a bit more normal. Or just a normal bike. <laughs> normal bike, yeah. yeah. Even my Triumph Bobber, and that was one of the reasons I came off it, I think, is that the, the uh, brakes and gears are swapped around. And I think just instinctively from all my years of racing motocross and stuff that when I was in trouble, instead of locking up the back wheel to try and drag it, I ended up changing yeah. down. And, just uh, clunk. I just get <laughs> clunk and then fly through the air and the rest of its history. Yeah. That moment when you press the wrong thing, whatever it is, in a car. Yeah. And being able to do the opposite fast enough to counteract whatever you've just done is yeah. it's basically impossible. Like yeah. you, you are so far past this thing that you're trying to miss. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or even, even at low speeds, you know, when you, when you accidentally press the brake with your left foot in an auto for the first time and you're yes. licking, licking the windscreen and you get like a nose mark <laughs> and that small gap between the dashboard and the windscreen. You think, how did that get yeah. there? Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Or your passengers just like, <clears throat> yeah, exactly. What are you? Yeah, what are you? yeah, yeah. Clutch. Anyway. Left foot braking, left foot braking. <laughs> I can't do it. I just, I'm just, I try, I mustn't do it. You know, tell you Cause, what, because the... when it all goes wrong, instinctively, I just use it like a clutch and then I hit the brake as hard as I can. So, yeah. Yeah. I've done it in a, in manual cars. Mm. I've, pretty much decided that i'm not going to do it unless i really have to for some reason on like track or whatever and someone's like you really need to be like covering the left foot okay. a little bit yeah um but in autos i actually it was a really interesting transition so in my race car i left a brake. yes but i didn't for a long time and okay. then i was like i want to learn this because i know i'm really bad at or was really bad at throttle so you basically want to be like throttle brake with like minimal gap in between. Yes. Like you're on one pedal, then the other pedal. Yeah. And the people that are really fast, but still right foot brake, when you watch their feet, they're so quick. Yes. Going throttle brake, throttle okay. brake. Whereas I would like throttle, throttle, throttle and be like, I should brake. So I would like kind of lift it off the throttle and then be thinking about it and then hit the brakes. Okay. At which point the, Too just, much weren't, just, just weren't doing it. Um, but in most cars, most car situations, your seat doesn't hold you at okay. all. Uh, even a bucket seat, whatever. If you don't have a full harness on that's tight, when you press the brakes, you slide forwards. Yes. So if you, what you, most people do is they brace themselves with their left, left foot. Left foot, yeah. And then they brake with their right foot. So you don't go forward. So then you've got the measure. So as soon as you take your left foot off the ground and hit the brakes, you've then got no feet on the ground. So you've got no bracing and then your whole body moves and that's 
part of the reason why you hit the brakes so hard. Okay. Okay. Um, Makes sense. Whereas I, in my race car, we had I have like a fitted, molded seat that you don't move. Like, okay. you don't move at all. You can press either pedal and you're not sliding forward and backwards, having them really tight. And once someone had explained that to me, it was like five minutes. Oh, like okay. Just being like, just do it, just do it, just do it. And I'd done a reasonable amount of playing on a PlayStation and whatever with my left foot. You don't get the feel, but yes. no, the concept the is there. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then that was it. Just like, just just go do it. But as oh, soon cool. as you start moving around, yeah, it's much harder. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, I, I, I have to say, I generally tend to drive automatic cars uh, and mm. left foot brake on those. But it's okay when you know you're left foot braking. But I think it is, you know, it's a bit like, it's a bit like when the shit hit the fan on that bike and I'd just yeah. been blown past into a pothole. I just instinctively, I didn't have to think about what I was doing. I just yeah. wanted to brake, back back wheel brake, and it wasn't. And yeah. because the controls were swapped over, and uh, you know, it's fine it. when everything is going fine. But when it all when it all goes pear shaped, and what would happen if I was having to brake before slamming into a tire wall, for example, on a track day, maybe, and I was left foot braking, I probably wouldn't do it as well as if I was doing it with my right foot, and I would probably clutch control it. You know, the way I would hit a clutch with my yeah. left foot. And that would, I, that's, that's when it would go pear-shaped. I think, I agree with you on this sort of the road situation. Okay. When something snap changes or whatever. I think it, it requires a bit of transition, absolutely, in, in, on, on track. But once you've transitioned and you're like left foot brakes, right foot throttles, and they're, not, they're never coming off the pedals then. Oh, okay. They're, yeah. they're always there. You're not, you've got no other pedals to do unless you're, you've got a sequential box and you need to just like pull, clutch out. And, but then as soon as you've done that, you're just bang, bang, pedals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then your brain just goes, left is stop, right is go. Yes, okay. What I suppose you, you, do it, you do it in a go-kart. You know, you do it comfortably enough exactly. in a go-kart. You do so. it in a go-kart. Hmm. Um, the one thing that you do do, and this has happened to me like a couple of times, is you forget to press clutch. Oh, so yeah, yeah, So let's yeah. say you spin. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And you'll like hold your left foot down on the brakes and then you suddenly stop and the car just goes, <laughs> you're like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, There is another function, yeah. yeah. And then there's your, you know, your feet need to have swapped over and whatever and blah, yeah. blah, blah. Then, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's when the analysis happens of why it's all got, gone wrong. But, uh, got wrong because you made a mistake. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the fact you span off the track and then didn't press the clutch, the clutch is not the problem. <laughs> no, no. There was a problem preceding that. Yeah, yeah. preceding that, Exactly. <laughs> Right, well, we've di- diverged significantly. <laughs> Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Sam, really, an absolute, an absolute pleasure again. Thank you very much. I hope it wasn't just uh, one-sided from me, just bloody <laughs> about, about Osher and Workshop 77. But, um, no, it, yeah. was, it was cool. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to when you've, in the new place, yes. and the engine's back in the car, Yes, and uh, come, and, come up and, and have a go, have a poke around. Excellent, man. I look forward to getting you up there. So Cool. Cool. Thanks very much. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Boll & Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Boll & Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BollAndBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.